0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. This week on the Garage Beers podcast, it is episode 93, and we have not one but two incredible special guests. First, from the Blue Jackets to talk about the Blue Jackets, a reporter for the Blue Jackets, Dave Metzel is going to jump on with us. Plus, from Bleacher Report, we've got Brent Soboleski coming on. Brent is an expert on football, on NFL football, and he's going to talk all things Browns with us. Come on up the driveway Open up your favorite lawn chair, crack open a cold one, and join us for Garage Beers. Welcome on in, everybody, to episode number 93 of the Garage Beers podcast. Go find us online at The Garage Beers on all social media platforms, including TikTok, including YouTube. Go check out the Garage Beers podcast on YouTube. You can catch the videos of all of our special guest interviews that we record. Uh, catch us as always on the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network and the Unhinged Radio Network. And with you as always, I am your host, Michael Keefe. Go find me online at Garage Beers, Mike. And joining me, both of my co hosts, finally again. First over on the east side of Cleveland, you go find him online at Garage Beers, Chad. It's Chad Meyer. What's up, Chad? Hi. Hi. Oh, we should do like two-part
2: harmony on that one time. Uh-huh. Uh, boys, boys, I really have nothing interesting to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> why? Uh, why is that? Because I'm in like day seven of what feels like a 17 fucking thousand day quarantine uh, right now because the daughter tested positive for COVID. And so nothing's really happened. I, I've yelled at my kids a lot. They've They've kicked each other's asses a lot and uh yeah uh, i've been drinking like i'm 21 again so that's that's where we're at that's where that's where chad's at with his life right now so that's that's that's, that's it that's that's the, that's the update on me i think first things
1: first how's the daughter doing okay yeah she's yeah she's good she's good her garage symptoms, beers, hazel.
2: Uh, yeah garage beers hazel her symptoms have just been mild i mean nothing nothing too crazy but i mean it's uh, it, there, there was almost a part of me that wishes Fletcher would have would have tested positive cuz at least they would have been able to, like hang out like we wouldn't have been tried we wouldn't have been trying to keep a a 3 and a 5 year old separate this entire week which has been which has been tough so it, it's yeah there's a part of me that wishes he was and that way you could just get it over with and we could just send him back to school no worries all that good stuff and but you know it is what it is we're managing like i said drinking like i'm 21 again and i'm just kind of eating what i want again all right, here we go. Wow. Wow.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad uh Hazel's doing all right, first and foremost. And uh yeah, like half of what you said sounded great and half sounded terrible. Right. Uh but good luck to you as your kids continue dropkicking each other. Oh god, Hazel's dropkick. It
2: was impressive. Like it sucked, <laughs> but it was it was impressive. Like it was perfect, it was pretty good form, I'll be honest with you. And she's never watched a lick of wrestling yet in her in her short life. So, I might
1: have to get her into it. <laughs> hey, you listen, we'll figure that out. So, Chad's over there in quarantine, but that's not going to stop him from joining us. Uh, and also joining us down in Nashville, Tennessee. Go find him online at Garage Beers Joe. It's Joey Whalen. What up, Joe?
3: What up, guys?
1: What's going on, man? Good How's to that? have you back
3: again. What a, what a time to be kidless, let me tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right.
3: right. right. Uh, well, I don't got much. I'm happy to be back. Had a good Thanksgiving uh, with the fam in town um had all the the top options for my uh my thanksgiving draft.
4: Uh,
3: <laughs> except the ham, I guess I didn't have any ham.
1: Yeah, uh, good. <laughs> you, you didn't even have your own like top meat pick. I mean,
3: you know, Great. it it wasn't even on my board, but it was the last option. So uh,
2: <laughs> no, uh Now, now what do you think of what do you think of the prime rib, Joe? Did you listen to my you know, my draft? What did, what what do you think of my lineup?
3: I, I think the prime rib is a very, like, feels like kind of like California. You know, it's kind of, like, classy. Ah, you know, you're not yeah, going to yeah. find that in, you know, you're not going to find that in, like, the Midwestern states. No offense. I'm from, you know, we're all we're all in there. Uh oh, sure. It's more of, like, a bougie-type Thanksgiving meal.
1: <laughs> right. Every time I think all of right. California, all I can think about is the Saturday Night Live skits with, like, Fred Armisen, where he's like, uh, uh, what are you doing here,
4: Stuart?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you go jump." Down- You go down the 45 to the one and hit the 101.
1: (laughs) What are you doing here, Star? Uh, uh, Yeah, boys, it's good to have everybody back in the garage. And we are like this episode is just mind blowing to me, especially like I don't think people know how the episodes come together sometimes. And sometimes it's just well laid plans, right? Like sometimes we get somebody that agrees to come on like three weeks early and we can really plan for it. We literally came into today without a guest for tonight. And we have two guests tonight. Uh, so two amazing guys that agreed to come on with us. Uh, we're going to kick it over in just a minute. We're going to get it over uh, to Dave Metzl, uh, who reports on the Blue Jackets. Their, uh, their beat reporter, uh, rink, uh, the sideline reporter kind of guy. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I'm all over the place. And then... And then after that, we're going to get into some football. It's the Browns' bye week, so maybe it's a good time for all of us to kind of reset a little bit, figure out what the hell we're doing. We're all feeling like 500 human beings, like the Browns are a 500 team. And so Brent Sobolewski from Bleacher Report, going to come in and talk Browns. The best news about both of these guys, both of them, they know their beer. Brent is a self-professed beer snob, so they're going to crack open some beers and talk about that with us. But, uh, guys, it's good to see you back here. And we're going to get into our Garage Beers of the Week. But before we get into our Garage Beers of the Week, it's time to bring in our first special guest. All right. And now we are very excited to be joined for the second time by a guy that we had a great time with back in May uh, earlier this year when things with the Columbus Blue Jackets were, well, they were a little wacky with the Blue Jackets back in May. We weren't really sure what was going on. Uh, and, and Dave gave us some very honest feedback. So I'm very excited to touch base with Dave now, uh, moving forward and seeing how the Blue Jackets have started, but he is the ringside reporter for the Blue Jackets. Uh, when you watch them on Valley sports, Ohio, for those of you that can watch on Valley sports, Ohio, yeah, I know, uh, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> but we are very excited to bring back in Dave Metzl. Dave, thank you for, for rejoining us here on the garage beers podcast.
4: Boys, it was a, it was a good invitation to get today. Uh, this has already been a long road trip, a couple of tough games. And uh, so this yeah. is a good way to break it up. Good way to break it
1: up. Yeah, it. Uh, well, we'll get in. We'll get into the road trip. But I, to be honest, I, like I still am not even, I know that they've had a, a rough couple of games. But the way this season has started, the fact that this is really kind of the first stretch of like, ooh, these have been a rough two games. Yeah. that's That says a lot of good things about a team with, Just so much turnover in youth. But, again, we'll get into all that. Okay. Uh, Before we get into that, though, we can't start talking about all this stuff. We can't start talking hockey without first introducing our Garage Beers of the Week. Dave has got a – Dave's coming to us from Dallas, Texas, where the Blue Jackets are playing the Stars tomorrow. And he's got a Texas Texas legend sitting in front of him. So, Dave, we're going to start it with you. What is your Garage Beer of the Week?
4: You know, we got to go with the Shiner Bach when you're in Texas. And, and they had a Shiner Bach Christmas Ale. They had a Shiner Bach Blonde, which, you know, I'm on the road. I was thinking about right. that for a minute. <laughs> but, <laughs> my wife can't watch this, can she? What?
1: No, uh, no, no. It's no. impossible. We blocked her. her. We blocked
4: her. No, no, no. So I had yeah. to go with the uh, traditional I, I... Shiner Bach. Honest to God, I was searching... There's like a little carryout right across the street from this uh, Holiday Inn where the team stays. Yeah. Right. Uh, All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, There's a little, little, uh, you know, like a little uh, discount convenience store. And I was looking for a 40 because I really wanted a 40 in a big paper bag. But the best I could do is this 24. So we'll start here with a Shiner Box. Pride of Texas right here.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you show You show up like your shirt's all disheveled. You just have it in the bag. You're talking like you're already wasted. Like no.
4: that's not, that's uh, Guys, I just I went out. And I got something. I don't know what's in the bag. It's fine. I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Some guy named Bush told me to get this beer. Yeah. I said okay. Yeah. I,
1: I stayed in a Holiday Inn last night, so I, yeah. I know what I'm talking.
2: Right. You right, want right, to? Right. You want to? You you want to go outside? Watch me kick my ass. Huh? <laughs>
1: So Dave's coming at you with again a a, a Texas Titan of beer, Shinerbach. A Texas is not really, not really known for its beers until more recently. Dallas has turned into a pretty good beer city. Uh, but Bock has been around there forever and it is a Titan. So that's a great choice. Uh Chad, let's send it over to you next over on the East Side. What's your beer of the week this week?
2: Well, guys, I've got uh a Sam Adams variety pack sitting here. Oh, nice. And- yeah, and uh it's it's got the Boston Lager, the old Fezziwig, winter lager, holiday white ale, reunion IPA and holiday porter in it. And I, I you know what? I, I just couldn't pick one, so I figured I'm just gonna reach into the box, see what I pull out, and that could be my garage beer of the week. There's uh, a chance by the end of this you've had one week. We're going with the reunion IPA. <laughs> oh okay. poor
1: chad. Yes. <laughs> the reunion IPA. That
2: couldn't so have gone better. It, let's open it up and uh Luckily, there's only two of these in here, so uh, we'll see how it tastes.
3: See the wind going out of those sails right there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. uh, It says holiday happiness. It's more like holiday sadness. (laughs) It's not
3: good, guys.
2: (laughs) Okay, it's not good, guys. It's it's super bitter. It's like it's super bitter, and it's 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 got that like uh, I I I say it's like uh, the the pine tree uh, uh, cab uh, cab freshener, like sort of taste to it. And it's just not good. Sounds it sucks. Delicious. But uh, okay, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to soldier through this. OK, I'm going to soldier through this for the sake of the show.
4: Disclaimer. Hey, Eddie's got a case of
1: that in the RV if you need it. So. <laughs> That's an RV, Clark. That's an RV. <laughs> That's an RV. <laughs> uh, disclaimer. Chad doesn't have any taste for IPAs at all. So when he says it's not good, that doesn't mean it's not good. It just means Chad has very bad taste when it comes to IPAs.
4: You made yeah, me nervous, I mean, just, sir, because I thought you meant he didn't have any taste, at which point we all would have to quarantine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. Well, well. Uh, yes, <laughs> no, Dave, Dave. Dave's gonna be in Dallas not, for a while. <laughs> we do not mention those words around the blue jackets. We don't talk about it. We don't think right. about it. We don't bring that into the room. Yeah, we are not point. manifesting that. <laughs> Your good point. <laughs> all right, let's send it down to Nashville, which is gonna give Dave some. Sweats after the game you watched the other night,
3: dude. I was uh, just in Nashville. I know, I know. I should have given you some uh, some beer places to go to down there.
4: Uh, we we found plenty, believe me. Oh, good. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> and we never we never left Broadway, but we found plenty. I'm
3: so. I was telling the guys before we started the show. I like got offered tickets to go to the game last night, and I had something else that came mm-hmm. up, and I like was listening to it on the radio, and I was and I heard that the, they were playing the Blue Jackets. And I was like, Are you kidding me? Like, of all the games to, like, not go to this year, I missed the Blue Jackets game. I'm so mad at myself for that.
4: Uh, Guess what? Of all the games to not go to this year, that was one not to go to. That was probably a good one. (laughs) 100%. Be thankful.
2: Be thankful. Yeah. (laughs)
4: So, Uh, Joe,
3: what's your garage beer this week? I'm going back to, uh, what's it called? Unplugged Brewing Company in Elyria. They got this Buckeye Porter, Peanut Butter Porter. I love this brewery. It's so good. Like all their beers are fantastic. I don't think I've had a bad one from here. It's just like a really dark, awfully dark Whoa. peanut butter porter beer, Whoa. and it's a dessert. It's delicious. <laughs> uh, I wish I had five of these right now.
1: <laughs> Jesus. Okay. A dessert, a dessert with a buzz. I now don't, it's I don't no grain.
2: It's-, it's no grain belt premium, Dave. But uh, no. you know, is this,
4: the Schneiderbach is, uh, is is a good is a good replacement. Yeah, it's got a little it's got a little more body to it than a Green Bell premium, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. and I, I don't know. I just feel like uh, I just feel like I had to do, you know, when you're in Texas, you gotta do a take. I just don't notice sure. the label. It says serve cold and often, which is perfect. Ooh. Serve <laughs> cold okay. and often.
1: I don't know how often you're serving 24 ounces of a Shiner box, but hey. I, oh, go for I
4: got two of them, though, and it's only 8 o'clock Central Time, so
1: we'll see. <laughs> night is both, young. Uh, the night is it's young. Gonna be It's called Make the Shiner Box Disappear Night at, at, in it. Dallas. Uh, all right, so Joe, going back to Unplugged, uh, when you come back for the holidays, Joe, we're going to have to hit that up because I, oh, I yeah. have not been there yet. So that just brings it to me. And so I'm going to Hershey, Pennsylvania. I'm going to Trogues Brewery. Uh, courtesy of a buddy of mine, Mark Rogan. He brought this over. He came over for dinner, brought me a four-pack of these. And so I've decided to crack them open. Again, anybody that listens to this podcast knows I am Mr. Seasonal Beer Guy. So we're heavy into the Christmas ales, the Christmas beers right now. And so if you're familiar with Trogues, you're familiar with Mad Elf, which is their like standard Christmas ale. Well, this is Mad Elf Ground Crew, which I know that's a wine, Thing like really good wine is Grand Cru is what they call it, but this is Mad Elf's Grand Cru, and it is, uh, it's it's like an aged. It's ale brewed with honey and cherries, and it's like aged in wine barrels, and so it's <laughs> heavy. Yeah, it's eleven percent. So we're gonna have a fun time oh, wow. with this one, and then also with this one, we're gonna have a good time with those. But it's like a red. It, it kind of looks like a wine almost. You can't really see the red. Yeah.
4: And I see you've gone with the stemless glass, too, which is beautiful. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no. yeah. It's stemless. That just uh, that
1: just screamed
2: like everything, like hipster craft beer, beer snob. Yeah. Uh, these days, like, oh, it's aged in goat's milk in a gluten-free oh barrel. And and, <laughs> and, and,
3: and
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's made with all organic materials. Listen, it's not going to harm listen. the environment. So part of it is very fitting because Dave's down there in Dallas. He's getting ready to to do the Stars and the Blue Jackets. And I I have been to more Stars games than any other NHL team because I live down there. And we used to go to Stars games all the time. And it's one of the things that drove us crazy is that the crowd at Stars games is very shirt and tie, uh, get your fanciest clothes, maybe not tie, but like button down shirt, get your fancy clothes on crowd. It's not so much of a let's get your hockey gear on and just go watch some hockey. It's like, get your nice shoes on. It's your Sunday best crowd. Mm-hmm. And so the Grand Cru beer just fits oh, in with yeah. the Dallas, Dallas crowd down there. I totally thought that out just right now.
4: <laughs> I'm a little intimidated about what I'm wearing tomorrow night. I might have to go buy a new tie.
1: <laughs> Here's what's going to happen, though. You're going to look around. You're going to look around, especially at the good seats. You're going to look around and go, oh, Yep. It was always our biggest complaint. We would show up in our jerseys and stuff, and you'd see like three other people wearing jerseys. <laughs> Shame uh, about that. That's Dallas. It is, it's It's yeah. It's the Dallas sports club. Uh, we don't want to talk too bad about that. Anyways, those are our Garage Beers of the Week. You get online. Tell us your Garage Beers of the Week. Give us some suggestions. Give us some things to go out and try. We will do that. But uh, to you, the listener, we say cheers. To you guys on the podcast, I say cheers. And now it's time to get in to this awesome conversation that we've got going on with Dave Metzold and Dave. So the thing that stands out to me, this is what I want to open with. The thing that stands out to me about our last conversation in May was this is when the blue jackets it's pre-draft. It's the blue jackets had the three. They had, they had kind of torn everything down. They had the three first round picks. And one of the things we talked about was what are they doing here? Is this like a true, tear down rebuild is this. And you were very honest. You were like, this is a rebuild. And, and it, it sounded like the expectation you were like tempering your expectations. Like, listen, I'm not going to go into this season with any big expectations because of everything that went down. Then obviously the rest of the moves of the off season got made and this season starts and you've got everybody from an 18 year old kid getting significant playing time. Multiple two rookies getting significant playing time uh, to bringing back Jake Voracek, losing losing a couple other players like Seth and like Cam. And this whole thing goes down. And for some reason, you had a new coach into the mix. And outside of these last couple of games, things have really been clicking. How much fun has this been to watch?
4: It's well, and and fun is the key word. Uh, we were just out to dinner. Uh, our producer, our our director, and uh, actually another guy from the team, uh, not a player but a, a staff guy, and and fun is the key word. This team, as we've seen it through the first twenty games, is playing a different style of hockey than we were accustomed to under John Tortorella. They're more up and down the ice. They're scoring more. They've been in the top ten in scoring in the NHL all season long. Granted, it's only twenty games, and it's fun to watch. If you were there for the Colorado game, for example, which is an example that I use for a lot of people now, that was a fun hockey game to watch. Watching them score goals, watching them come from behind, watching them score power play goals is a big uh, switch for this team because we've watched them grind out games for so long. We've watched them focus on defense for so long. So Yes, the, the uh, one loss record is certainly impressive, but the way they're winning these games is fun. It's great to watch. Players are having fun. The coach seems to be light and, and you know pretty easy going about the way things are going so far. And the fans at Nationwide, well, because the team is playing so well at Nationwide, are having a good time. And, and that's been uh, a, an early trademark of this of this year's edition of, of the Jacks for sure.
2: Do you see it in the in some of the players who were here uh, uh, under Torts? Do you see it kind of like maybe just this, I don't know if you want to call it like a weight lifted off their shoulders, but can no. you just tell that they're just having more fun?
4: Yeah, with two guys in particular, and they're not long-time Blue Jackets, but they were here last year for what was really a tough season for a lot of us. And that's Max Domi and that's Patrick Line. I know is hurt. He hasn't been around for a while. But before Line got hurt, he mentioned that there's like a fresh air feeling in the locker room right now. Domi told me last week, he's like, you know, it's kind of nice to play for a coach who likes to keep his lines together and isn't switching his lines all the time. So that means he's not looking over his shoulder all the time, which is, which is great, right? And then you got a guy like Zach Wierenski, who forever played in Seth Jones' shadow. Maybe he shouldn't have been playing in, Maybe we shouldn't refer to it as him playing in, in Seth Jones' shadow. But he did, because Seth was the big all-star and the guy who was presumed to be a better defenseman. I think Zach is embracing his chance to be the alpha dog now on the blue line. And that's another guy who has changed in my opinion, significantly this year.
1: Yeah, it's been, it has been so like the way that they put the team together. Right. So go back to, we talked in May. So this was before pretty much everything. This was, this was pretty much before everything went down with this team. And you saw, uh, you saw, we all knew Seth was going to go. We all knew it. The Cam thing took everybody just a gut punch. Let's spend Especially a second. Cam. On, Especially yeah. Cam. Well, let's spend a second on that. When was, when's the last trade that you can remember in the NHL that you can look at and go, <laughs> that was like the perfect trade for both teams? Yeah. It's not like you wanted to see Cam leave. It's not like you were excited to see Cam leave, but Cam is so much better suited for the system they're playing in Philadelphia. Yeah, he's a better player over there, really, top to bottom. Just a better player than he was in Columbus. Not saying he was bad, but he's doing. He fits in better. They their style fits him better. And then you get Jake Voracek back, and he's got to be like to me. That's the catalyst of this whole season between between that and having some of these young guys really step up and play well. Jake has been Jake's like that missing puzzle piece that they needed. Right.
4: Well, Jake is the guy who, not to the same level as Artemi Panarin, but certainly to a pretty high level, can be the playmaker. He can be the playmaker on the power play. He can be a playmaker five-on-five. Five. He leads the team in assists. Uh, he's tops, uh, one of the tops in the, in the league in assists right now. That's why he came to Columbus. That's what they needed, was a guy who can come in and create where there was no one really, since Artemi left, there was nobody really to create offense where there was none. And that's been huge. The other thing that, that uh, Jake brings in as the elder statesman of this team, he's like a coach on the ice, man. He's talking to these young kids. He's talking to, to uh, Yegor Chinikov. He's talking to Cole Sillinger. He's talking to, to Boquist and Bean, young defensemen. Even though he's a forward, he's the steadying influence there on the ice, on the power play, and five on five, and in practices and everything else. He's he's just that guy who's been there before and doesn't get rattled when things are really going south and is able to keep this team kind of, you know, centered a little bit. Now, it's been a tough go here for the last two or three games. Uh, every team goes through this kind of stuff. It'll be interesting yeah. to see how they pull out of it. But uh, Jake Voracek has been a huge, huge influence in a lot of different ways.
1: So when all this was going down in the offseason, just to, just kind of like give us I, – I, I've been watching the – the uh uh, I I always forget the name of the show the the YouTube show that they put up where it's just the behind the scenes right yeah behind yeah. the battle yeah yes there's Sorry. a new episode
4: just, out tonight by the way you're gonna want to check it out it's so good uh, yeah apparently yeah. So it's to gonna us- make
1: you cry apparently it's gonna make you great. cry. great it's like Ted Lasso <laughs> I'm going into Ted Lasso thinking I'm watching a comedy and I'm over here crying on my couch every night God uh, talk to us about your uh, like the roller coaster for you this this off season just for you personally I mean uh obviously uh, we have the, the the the, tragedy in July. we've got uh, we've got the players that come together. We've got a whole bunch of new players for you to kind of get to know uh, right. we've got these guys that you're it, it feels like they brought like a whole bunch of everything and you bring in a guy like Jake that you it's kind of a known commodity. You bring in these guys like you talked about Bean and Bovas who are like, you know, are these guys guys that maybe could use a change of scenery? Bean's been amazing. Uh, you you bring in these rookies. Uh, what what was the roller coaster like for you? Just kind of following along with all this?
4: Yeah, it, I, I tell you, I went through a period, um, especially uh, you know after Savard and um, Riley Nash, Nick Felino, those guys are out the door. Uh, then the next thing you, you hear is Seth wants to be out the door, and I'm and I'm I'm starting to get a little skeptical at that point, and thinking, man, this is going to be a tough go. Uh, and we already knew that at that point that torch was not coming back, and we weren't sure which way they were going to go on coaches. And I, and I was I was um, I was just a little skeptical. I didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, and then you talk to some experts, quote unquote experts, who are like, you know, uh, this is going to be a total rebuild, and it's going to be two or three years where it's really going to be rough. Um, and then they start adding pieces, right? Uh, I think the trade that they made uh, for uh, Boquist. Which ultimately brings them Sillinger as well, right? Because they got right. that draft, they bring Sillinger in. Jeez. Like, okay, yeah, that works. Sean Carali wants to come back after playing some pretty good years in Boston. Wants to come back and be a part of whatever kind of rebuild or whatever you're talking about is going to happen. Uh, and then they they uh, they flip that uh, they flip that that pick and they get uh, Jake Bean. So they got Bean, Boquist. We didn't know how good Sillinger was going to be if he was even going to be a part of the team. But you start thinking, <laughs> wait a minute, they might they might be okay. And then once you get over the shot, for me, like I was pretty close, and, and I'm pretty close with Cam and his family. Yeah. So to see the way that whole thing went down, you know, where they got Cam out at Nationwide Arena and he signed an autographs one yes. day. And the next day, he's traded. And I'm like, what the shiner, Bach is going on here? <laughs> uh and then I start thinking, well, oh, wait a minute, maybe maybe this works with Jake Voracek here as a playmaker. Um, and then as they got into camp, well, and then you you can't just bypass, and, and it's bad of me to even even uh, think about bypassing the whole thing that happened with Matisse Kivlenics because that that was such a tragedy and it affected people so deeply. And again, you have two ways you can go with that, right? You can be, well, man. I can't believe we lost this player. This whole season is going to be a loss. Or, you know what? We lost this player. We all loved him. Everybody cared about him. He was so meaningful to the team and to Elvis Merzlikens and many others. Let's do it for him. And that became a source of inspiration rather than just a total downer. Like, oh, God, I can't. People found a way to rise up out of that, right? So now you build all of that together. And uh, they go into training camp and you start watching these kids and you start watching this cylinder kid and you're like, this, this teenager is going to make the team. And you start watching Chinnikoff and you're like, this guy could shoot the puck, man. He's good. And, and then people would ask questions like you guys are asking how they're going to be. And I'm like, you know what? They're going to be better than you think they are. I'm not saying they're going to win the cup. I'm not saying they're going to win the Eastern conference. They're going to be better than you think they are. And they come out of the gate, score eight goals against the bad Phoenix team, but they score eight goals and they beat the cracker. And then you're like, what the hell? This team's going to be good. And it's, it's been fun. So it has been a roller coaster. I mean, I tell you that, that Saturday, I think it was a Saturday that that Cam got traded. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be brutal. And it's been anything but they've, they've found a way to, to pull this team together and, and to pull all these parts together, as you mentioned, and, and make it a pretty fun team to watch through 20 games.
2: Did you get a sense of what the guys <clears throat> were like talking about that opening night and, and talking about the Matisse tragedy? Did you get a sense of what the room was like? You know, I mean, obviously it was going to be, you know, it, you know, obviously it was on one hand, it was going to be just full of adrenaline. You know, you, you got a packed nationwide arena back, and yeah. fans back, so excited. But then on the other hand, you had, it was an emotional uh, night for, for these guys, especially Elvis coming out. What, you know, was it, did they have, did you get a sense of whether like they had their moments where it was like, okay, it's sadness. Let's do this. But like, like what was what was that opening night like for them?
4: I, I think because of the uh, space between uh, Matisse's passing and opening night, I think they all had terms and, and the memorial service, which was incredibly moving to see the players come back. Even a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois come back, cross the border to come back to make sure he paid his respects to Matisse Kiblenics. I think that helped bring that whole group of guys together. And I think that that sustained itself really through all their off-season skates, their off-season training that they did together. Then as you get into September, they start pulling together a little bit down at the Ice House and whatnot. I think all of that made a big difference and helped them get through that opening night, which they all knew would be emotional. Elvis knew it was going to be emotional. He knew there would be tears. Matisse's family was going to be there. But I, I, I honestly, it sounds a little cliche-ish, actually. But I think they're drawing strength out of that. I think they drew strength drew strength out of it that night, and I think they're drawing strength out of it even now as they look up at that banner at Nationwide Arena. Uh, if you watch Elvis closely, he still kisses his mask when he's when he gets ready to go for that game. Uh, gets ready to go into a game, he kisses that mask which has got that number eighty on it. Uh, and I think they still draw inspiration from that. You still see that eighty everywhere. In, uh, in and around the arena and obviously on the back of the helmets and whatnot. So uh, I think it was a tough night to go through, but I think they are all proud of the way that they all pulled together to go through it together, to be supportive for Matisse's family. They all came in for that night and for that ceremony. And I think that was a, 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 good, a good way for them to jump off on what could have been a questionable start to the season together. They all did it together.
1: Well, let's talk about another guy we haven't brought up yet, but a guy that was was honored with a, with a letter on his jersey uh, before the year started, and that's Boone Jenner. And what a way this dude has responded to being named the captain. Boone Jenner has responded by... It, it feels to me when I'm watching the Jackets, he always looks like the best player out on the ice at all times. Like, even yeah. when they're playing, even when they're going up against... Maybe not the last couple of games, but even when they're going up against some really, really great players from around the NHL. Boone Jenner, when I'm watching, he always just looks like he can come out and take over a game. <laughs> when he was named the captain, like what did that mean to him? And, and, and how do you think he's like taking that and like and using that uh, to have the type of season that he's having?
4: I think, uh, you know, when he was named captain, everybody said captain obvious, right? It was so obvious, a a logical choice for me. I think it was, it was a choice really between Boone and Zach Warinsky to be the the next leader of this team, but Boone has embraced it. Boone is not always the most vocal guy in the room, but he certainly leads by the way he plays. And he's, he's been doing that guy since he got to Columbus plays hard. Yeah. Goes in the corners, goes in the dirty areas, gets in front of the net and just gets his brain speed in and finds a way to score goals <laughs> or finds a way, seriously. Yeah. Finds sure. a way to screen the goaltender so his teammates can score goals. That's Boone Jenner. Uh, he's he's always got that just that edge to him and that grit to him that you really want to see out of not just any player, but especially your captain, right? especially the captain for a team that came in with so many question marks, especially a captain for a team that came in so young. You want a guy who's got a little experience in there and not experience of just being in the NHL, but working in the NHL, working for everything he's got in the NHL. That's Boone Jenner. And I'm so happy to see him get rewarded with the goals that he scored and with the power play goals that he scored. You know, I mean, he's on that power play; he's right there in front of the goaltender. That's not easy work. (laughs) And he has made the most of it, and he's leading by example. Uh, Zach is doing the same thing, leading by example. Not necessarily being real chatty about it. Not necessarily, you know, beating my chest and, you know, saying I'm I'm the alternate captain. I'm the captain. Whatever. Uh, But those two guys and Oliver Bjorkstrand, I put in the same category. Leading by example really really has made a big difference.
1: Yeah. Now, oh, go ahead. Go
4: ahead, I was going to say you you know you just mentioned. Wait
2: who who's who's over here uh yeah it's that way <laughs> uh you know you just mentioned Bjorkstrand, strand dave yes. you know, recently just named one of the most underrated players in the nhl would you put him in that category or is it just yep. or, or is it just is, is, is it something columbus has always known just nobody else is known
4: <laughs> yeah uh I, no i absolutely put him in that category and and uh He's got a wicked shot. He's got a wicked release. And 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 the problem, if you talk to goaltenders, you talk to defensemen, what makes that shot so tough is you never really know what they what the launch point's gonna be, because he can get rid of it so quickly. And really the only guy I've seen who's got one that even comes close to matching that is is Chinnikov. Chinnikov's shot is wicked, quick don't release point that you don't really understand where it's coming from. It's just gone and off the stick. Uh, but Bjorkstrand is another guy, and I I I really think he learned. And a lot of times he had to learn some hard lessons under John Tortorella because John Tortorella would look at Oliver Bjorkstrand and he would look at Artemi Panarin and he would say, hey, Oliver, you guys are the same size. And look at what Artemi Panarin is doing to create his own opportunities. He's really strong on his skates, really strong on the puck. And you've seen Oliver become stronger and stronger and stronger in both of those categories. Early in his career, I mean, Oliver would go into the corner and he would just get trucked, guys. It's just like, whoa, Yeah. Not from that. Yeah. And he would shake his helmet back down and get back into the play. This year he's taking those hits uh without not quite so much violence, right? He's taking it, absorbing it, giving it back a little bit, and then creating some of his own opportunities. And all the while helping on that power play and still great shot, but also he's got he's got quite a few assists as well. Uh, and I know he's proud of that as well. So again, leading by example and Easy got overlooked when, when you're talking about the great forwards in the National Hockey League. Easy got overlooked, but he can be really lethal.
2: Okay, And I have one more guy to ask you about too. <laughs> so Chinikov, Ch- Ch- we just said said Chinenkov. You know, we all saw that. You know, when he got the Kepi, you know, good good goal next, good work, good job, good goal next. <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's like, and and I I wanted to ask you that. That brought about something in my mind that I always wanted to ask somebody. What um. What is it like? I mean, I know I know they, they obviously find a way to, to get it done. But what is it like for guys who, you know, they're coming in from overseas or wherever that might not uh, speak the best English? Like what, what's it like to getting over the language barrier for guys?
4: Right. It's a it's a universal language. Jody was talking about that a couple of telecasts ago. Uh, hockey mm-hmm. is a universal language. Yes, there are some hurdles they have to overcome. But basically, they understand what the goals are in terms of uh, defensive assignments, for example, or in terms of what their uh, assignments are on a power play, who's on the half wall, who's in the slot, who's on the point, whatever. They understand because ultimately the game is the same whether you're playing in Russia, whether you're playing in Finland, whether you're playing in Denmark, wherever you are, the game is the same. You're trying to score goals and you're trying to keep the puck out of your own net. So while they have all been coached, In different languages, it's all one language of hockey in terms of how they get it done. And I think, you know, I mean, the the guys have said that he is uh, an extremely easy guy to like in the room. They all get along with him. And he's picking up little bits and pieces as they go along. And that's ultimately going to help him get through. I mean, I remember Bob going through it. I remember uh, Jacob Voracek going through it. When Jake Voracek was first, uh, first here as a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets, God, years ago, I went over uh, to Ohio State with uh, Jake and Rusty uh, Klesla to a Czech speaking (laughs) class at Ohio State. And these these two guys spoke to this group that was trying to learn Czech at Ohio State. (laughs) uh, And Look how far those guys have come. Um, There was a guy. Yeah, they can all speak
1: Czech now. Yeah, all right, those right. kids right. in that class. <laughs> <some Right>.
4: <laughs> right. We can all say F Michigan in Czechoslovakia or whatever. So, yeah, okay. we, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Sorry to bring that up. Yeah. Um, what are you
1: doing, Dave?
4: Yeah, sorry. Oh, go. How about that win over Duke there? I made up for it. Hey, there it is. Yeah. Nailed it. All right. Uh, but uh, uh, Marco Dano was another guy who who came over a, a first round pick of the jacket several years ago. Uh, really struggled with his English, but learned as he went along and and knew that the only way he was going to learn it was to put himself in positions to learn to learn the language. And he ultimately, you know, fared very well with that. That's what's going to happen with Chinnikov. He's just 20 years old guys. So he's
1: Jeez, he's, yeah.
4: he's got a he's got a lot of hockey and a lot of learning ahead of him still.
2: Well now so I dang. want to know how to say uh, now I want to know how to say F Michigan and check. <laughs> uh, hang
4: on, I'll go ask Jake.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jake come on down (laughs) how do you say michigan and chechia uh so dave here's the other question right new coach and and you guys are all familiar with lars he's been around but now that you've had a chance we've we've got a quarter of the season gone plus you've watched the off season since he was named coach Uh, uh uh you know obviously one of the first things he had to deal with was was the matisse situation and just kind of helping the guys through that. Uh, and then he goes through a camp. He gets a whole new roster, essentially. Right. And now we're about a quarter of the way into the season. And one of the things that that struck a, a, a little bit of fear uh, with with a lot of fans, we heard it over and over and over and over again, was you're bringing up this guy that worked for so long under torts, that why is he going to be different? Why right. Why should we expect something different under Lars than what we got under torts? right? What has that changed? Like from your perspective and what you've been able to watch, what has Lars been able to do so successfully and what kind of sets him apart? Not, not to say anything. I don't want you to say anything bad about torts or anything like that, but just kind of what makes him a little different. Uh, and, and what's
4: making him so so successful up front. I think he has learned under torts, obviously how to be a successful NHL head coach. He credits towards with a lot of the things that he learned. But Brad Larson was also an NHL player of his own right, right? Like he played in the National Hockey League and he learned from coaches that he played under and he learned how to be a player under those coaches and takes that knowledge and takes it to his own young players now, if that makes sense to you. So I think Mm -hmm. what he has done is he has allowed these players to be themselves and to play their own games a little bit more than maybe a hardline coach like John Totorella did. For example, the other night uh, at home, Max Domi just loses his mind, and, you know, just his emotions get the best of him. He wants to fight. He fights Svechnikov. Svechnikov's doing this, blah, 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 blah. That kind of stuff used to drive torts crazy. We asked Brad Larson about it after the game. Brad Larson said, you know, I just don't want to take away his emotions because his emotions are such a huge part of his game talking about Max Domi, that's important because Larson recognizes that each one of his players is motivated by whatever it is that gets those guys to that ultimate level, right, where they want to be. And I think that's made a tremendous difference here for some of these guys that I talked about earlier, like Line and and Max Domi. Jack Jack Roslovic is another one who didn't get off to a great start, but he's coming now a little bit because Lars is letting him be the player he needs to be. Um, and, and I think that has been, a, a by and large, a huge difference with the way things are handled this year. He's, he's being a little bit more of a player friendly coach, if you will, and not so much of a, this is the way I'm going to do it. And this is the way we're going to play. And you got to play this way. you got to fit into my, my mold. He's been a little more lenient on letting players be themselves and be their own creative selves to make them the best players they can be. Now, we haven't been through too many rough patches like uh, the last couple of games, right? We haven't haven't really lost. This team hasn't lost three games in a row yet, boys. Probably just changed yeah. them.
1: Nope. Um, <laughs> nope. yeah. Back on Sorry, Dallas. Sorry, Dallas. Better drown yourself in some Shiner Box.
4: Right. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you almost forgot about it. You almost forgot, I haven't yeah. seen you take a drink since. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we haven't really gone through a big adversity yet. And it'll be interesting to see exactly how he handles that because as a first year head coach, we don't know. We haven't seen him do that yet. Yeah. Um, we've seen how he responds to bad games, like a six, nothing loss to Nashville. We've seen that. But if this uh, streak goes to three or four or five, how will he respond then? That's, that's what we don't yet know about it. But so far, I think it's been a little bit of a breath of fresh air that has gone through the dressing room in terms of how it's all been ham. Excuse me. So it's been, everything's been
1: very feel good with the Blue Jackets. That's, that's been the best, but like you've said, it's fun, but it's also feel good, right? Uh, You've got, you've got this group of guys that seem to have come together in a way that you could only imagine. And, and, and you hate to bring up the Matisse situation, but you do feel like, that certainly brings them a little closer with the bond uh, of what they all had to go through together. Yeah. you Incorporate some new guys and they have fit in and they have bonded these young guys, man, Cole, Cole Sillinger. When we had, when we had Jeff Swoboda on and he was like, you know, he's going to have some moments where he just looks like an 18 year old. Not really. <laughs> like he hasn't had yeah. many of those. Uh, right. Everything has been feel-good, just Jake coming back and and just looking like he's having a good time and getting these crazy wins. This team is perfect in overtime, which I love. Uh, everything's been feel-good, and then they throw the ultimate feel-good in at us. Then they, then they hit all the Blue Jackets. They're like, hey, everybody's feeling good right now. Everybody's feeling good about the Blue Jackets. We're all smiling. We're all having a good time. Let's hit them with the ultimate feel-good thing that we can hit them with. And they announced that they're gonna they're gonna retire Rick Nash's jersey oh, yeah. uh, this season. And they put out a spectacular video where they show Rick Nash in the locker room, surrounded by the guys. His cute I have goosebumps right now. I have goosebumps wow. just talking about it. His wow. kids run up to him. His kids run up to him and they give him a hug. And it just what a what an incredible scene. Uh what was it like being around for all of that? What was it like being a part of that? Obviously, you know Rick Nash. Uh uh, and and what does this mean to him?
4: Uh, I think he captured it pretty well in terms of what he mean you know, what it means to him when he said, "You know, I pretty much blacked out when I realized they were talking about me." I mean, <laughs> he uh, he has great respect for John H. McConnell. He has great respect for the Blue Jackets uh, organization. He said he always considered himself to be a Blue Jacket, even when he got traded to the Rangers, even when he went to Boston, and you know, it, it just. It, he kept he kept his uh, Blue Jackets heart very close, and I think the fact that uh, he's always felt and considered himself to be a Blue Jacket really sums up all you really need to know about what this means to Rick Nash. I mean, he's going to watch that number go up to the rafters and think about all the things he did for this organization, including get them their first playoff uh, berth. He, he won the uh, he won the scoring title when he was a young kid. He, he just he did so much for this Columbus blue jackets organization. And then guys, he had to endure the, the strangeness of coming back to a city that he did so much for and being booed. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I was always one of those people like, what are you doing? Are you not doing?" Yeah. I, I never really fully understood it. And, and it was, he said it was very hard on him. It was very challenging for him. And the way he left just kind of left a big gaping wound there which he feels now has some closure because of how this whole thing has worked out. He's been able to come back, work in the uh, front office, obviously, and now he's going to get this opportunity uh, to have his, his Jersey retired the first one ever to be retired. So um, I, I think it's just a tremendous honor. Uh, The timing of it is exactly right. Uh, It's exactly what you want for a season like this, where you don't know where the season is going to go, but you know, you're going to have something to celebrate near the end of the season uh, and I just I just think it's richly richly deserved by a guy who who loves Columbus married a woman who's from Dublin um, just you know he he's not just uh, giving it lip service guys he really likes the city of Columbus loves the city of Columbus and and really appreciates the honor
1: I feel like that's how Columbus keeps them all around that's how it draws them all in They all come to Columbus not sure what they're gonna do and then all of a sudden they marry somebody from Columbus and boom you're yeah. like you're there's there a
4: few of them uh jody shelley and jared bull they married ohio yeah. girls
1: jean-luc John he
4: talked Jen- about his
1: cleveland wife yeah yeah, yeah the, 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 then you just get stuck then you're just in now you're welcome to ohio
4: Well, are not, you're not stuck. leaving it's not stuck man it's like you know jody and jody's worked really hard to build this alumni association and it's important to have players who, who have set up shop here in columbus and there's a bunch of them now mark letestu joins the group and uh even guys like, you know, Fedor Tutin is now living in Columbus, which is fantastic. And uh, Andrew Castles, there's so many of them who are, are back in Columbus. And that sends a message to maybe not a young guy like Cole Sillinger, but maybe a, a you know, a, a 30-year-old free agent who's thinking about, ah, do I want to come to Columbus? Well, maybe it's. Maybe it's a good destination, given these guys yeah, who have set yeah. up shop and are, are raising their families here. But it's, it's yeah, an incredible yeah. – Call
2: Fedor. Call Andrew.
1: Yeah, look, talk to these guys. Let, he'll tell you all about it. But yeah. it's an, it is an incredible thing down there. It's an incredible thing. You know, we're a Columbus group up – or we're a Cleveland group up here, but it's an incredible thing to watch. We have a lot of Columbus guests. We have a lot of Blue Jackets uh, special guests coming on like yourself. We have a ton of Ohio State Buckeyes. I cannot tell you how many Buckeyes we've talked to. Legendary Ohio State Buckeye football players that just live in Columbus. Yeah, they and they went on and had their NFL careers, and they're back right. in Columbus. And and you get guys, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, unless something crazy happens, Nick Foligno will be back in Columbus. Like I, he said that to us. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's an incredible culture, and so it's cool that Jody's kind of leading that charge too. Like, hey, listen, this is a great place to live. It's a great place to bring up your family. Oh, and by the way, especially when this hockey team is going good, it's a great right. place to play. Nationwide Arena is an incredible place to play hockey.
4: And, and those are important pillars of the foundation of this organization, right? You've got to have these guys come back. You can't just have a bunch of players come into Columbus, play for four or five, six years, and then get out of town. Uh, to come back and set up shop here raise family here, get jobs here. In Cam Atkinson's case, now obviously Cam's in Philly, but Cam opened a business here, right? right. You mentioned Nick. Nick. Nick sold his house in Upper Arlington. Absolutely he did, but he also has a plot of land he's going to build a bigger house on when his playing days are over. And that sends a huge message about what Columbus means to those guys. The other guy, and, and I just saw him, I just rode up the elevator with John Davidson. John Davidson yeah. came yes. back to Columbus yes, and and wants to be back in Columbus. This guy is a Hall of Famer. This yeah. guy is a legendary figure in the game of hockey. And he came back to Columbus, yes, to work for the Blue Jackets, but also to build another house here in Columbus and to say, I love it in this city. I love it here and I miss being here. So that's a huge, huge message message that he sends.
1: All right, boys, I think we're going to get ready to wrap this up. I do have. I have another question. I have a fun question for you, Dave. Fun question. I have a fun question. You're in Dallas. You got the Shiner. I want to know. You travel all around the country, and finally, we're traveling around the country again, which Thank is fun. God. Which is, I'm sure you're loving it. Oh, love it. Uh, what are the beer? What What are the cities you look forward to? You're a beer guy, so what are the What are the cities you look forward to for their beers? And and like, what are the beers you got to get in certain cities? if
4: that well, makes sense uh listen minneapolis minnesota is no um uh, <laughs> yeah
1: oh you may have a little bias to that oh yeah uh, i'll okay. get a juicy
4: lucy
2: in a grain belt let's go
4: there it is <laughs> <laughs> it's funny we go, we go to canada and we we get that like we get our alexander keats we get our kokanee's we get our little local uh um, uh, particular regional beers in Canada, and frankly, those are the ones we're excited about, is uh, is going and tipping an Alexander Keith's in, uh, in um, uh, Winston Churchill's Bar in Montreal. It sounds silly, but it's great. Going and getting a kokanee when you're in Winnipeg? Yeah, give me a kokanee. Is it the greatest beer in the world? No, but you can only get it there. And that's what makes it special. Uh, so it's, it's, it's those trips north of the border, that really are what make it special. It's not where you can go to, you know, go to Phoenix or you know get a Chicago or something, or you go to Philly and get a Peroni. Who cares? <laughs> Take me to Canada. Take me oh my to God, beer. I talk can't. To me. Canadian beer.
1: I Allegiant can't get over. Is over
4: quick. Is the one? Huh. Oh no! So talk to me real quick.
2: Like uh, you know, the beers are awesome up there, but I've also heard that like the cold up in Winnipeg and Edmonton is like just a different kind of cold. Like it's like it's 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 not like if you if you think like Cleveland's are bad, I've
4: heard Winnipeg and Edmonton is just downright wow. Yeah, so Winnipeg is the worst. There's an intersection in Winnipeg called Portage and Main, which they claim is the coldest spot in North America because of the way (laughs) the wind whips through there, and it's it is flipping cold. And and part of it is, I mean, once you come out of the Canadian Rockies, right? You got Saskatchewan and you got Manitoba. And then you get in on get on to uh, Ontario, and it's just dead flat. Yes. Like it's just you can see forever. The the joke is uh, one of our old producer. Uh, we were landing in Winnipeg one day, and he goes, "You know what they say about Winnipeg, don't you?" And I'm like, "No." And he goes, "They say when your dog runs away here, you can watch him go for days." <laughs> 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 Later. There he goes <laughs> 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 because it's so damn flat. So that's and, and the wind comes off the Rockies and doesn't really stop until it gets to. Newfoundland, or something. I don't know. Just keeps going.
1: <laughs> You're talking about all the Canadian beers, and all I can think about is the movie Strange Brew. Remember Strange Brew? Yeah, oh, well, yeah. Oh, there's a rat in my Elsinore. There's a, I <laughs> found a rat in my Elsinore. We need a new case of Elsinore. Uh, yeah, sir, I mean you a found hoser. a rat in your Elsinore? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a rat in there. Eh? Uh, sorry, it's a great movie. It's, uh, yeah.
4: No, no, that's good. Uh, vastly, perfect. Hoser. Vastly,
1: under, vastly underrated movie. Uh, Dave, I, that's going to do it for us. Uh, lastly, lastly, last question for you. Yeah. A little bit of an outlook now, right? We're right now. The Blue Jackets are sitting in their roughest patch of the season. Like we've talked about two yeah. losses, but not just two losses, two giving up six goals, uh, not playing real great on the defensive end. Uh, they kind of started playing better that, that second quarter, of the Nashville game, they played a little bit better. They kind of got back into them. So, or I'm sorry, the, the St. Louis. We're going game. to halftime?
4: The St. Louis. halftime? Uh, who's going to uh, tell them? Period. Him? I'm not going to the tell them just, just before period. halftime? I'm so used to watching <laughs> what football. <the> hell? <laughs> period. No, seriously, when they put Baker Mayfield on the penalty kill, it really made a
1: difference. Right. He's right. right. not doing what great the with the his hell? torn labrum. Jesus.
2: You know, I thought there uh, was a chance if they could get a couple goals in the third, they could come back in the fourth period.
1: Yeah, you're right. Listen yet. Uh, listen, I, I'll i insult these guys later. I won't insult you, Dave. But okay, I get it. I said quarter, I meant period. And I meant the St. Louis game. They played a little better as that game went on a little bit. Uh, that Nashville game was rough. But just outlook. We've talked a lot about a pleasant surprise, basically. That's what the yeah. Blue Jackets have been. A pleasant yeah. surprise. Yeah. Outlook. Do you see anything that's going on currently that you have a little bit of a fear that's going to regress? For example, any of the younger guys? that have been playing well that you fear might regress or a guy like Bjorkstrand, who is just, he's basically got a point a game, essentially uh, uh, that you fear might regress. And is there an area where you feel like, man, they haven't even quite hit their hit their stride in this area uh, as the season goes on?
4: Yeah. So uh, the area that I, that I fear the most is as this long season unfolds, young guys like Chinnikov, young guys like Sillinger saying, Whoa, this is really a long, hard grind. You got to remember Cole Sillinger is only 18 years old yeah. and sooner or later, this long, hard grind of an NHL season is going to catch up to him. And it's going to be how he handles that that concerns me the most in terms of that. Uh, the other thing that, that we need to see really on this road trip is a way for them to respond when things start to spiral out of control. That's what happened in St. Louis. Um, they, they played a pretty decent first period. St. Louis just came hammering back to start the second, and they had no answer. They really had no way of getting themselves righted, and that's a big concern. And then last night in Nashville, man, they had a couple of shifts to start the game. The Blue Jackets did that were good, and after that, Nashville just kept hammering away and did not let up. Jake Vorchek said after the game, you know, I, I think we have difficulty playing against uh, strong, heavy teams. And we need to skate with them. Um, Those are my big concerns, especially as they go into this game tomorrow night against the Dallas team that is much improved, much better than the one the Blue Jackets beat 4-1 earlier this year. And then D.C., I mean, you know what's going to happen with the Capitals. You run into Alex Ovechkin and and those boys, and uh, that's a a really good hockey team playing at a really, really high level. So they have to, as a team, find a way – to get back to where they were early in this year when they were winning games that maybe we didn't expect them expect them to win, because the only way they're going to do it is as a team. Um, in terms of un, untapped potential, uh, players who have not yet gotten to where we think they need to be, number one on that list is Jack Roslevic. Yes, he's got three goals, but he's got to get himself up to a level where he was last year, where he was one of the leaders on the team. He hasn't quite gotten there yet. Gus Nyquist, I think, is still shaking off some of the rust from missing an entire year last year. And he's got to get himself up just another notch or two so that he feels confident with where he is. Um, And then you got to, again, watch the continued development of Bean and Boquist back there on the blue line. I, I caution you, Adam Boquist is 21 years old. Defensemen in the National Hockey League don't really hit their stride until they're 27 or 28 years old. So he is a young, young defenseman. Uh, learning that job on the fly. And he's going to have some bumps along the way as he's trying to figure it out. Uh, but those, those are the areas that I'm looking at uh, between now and, you know, between now and certainly Christmas, but, uh, but then beyond that as well.
1: Dave Metzel, this has been a blast coming to you live from Dallas in the most beautiful <laughs> holiday and I've ever seen that also kind of looked like funeral parlor. Uh,
4: uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dave, we I'm thank sorry, you so much for the days in. Did I say holiday in? It's a oh, day, that makes a such day? A oh. difference. The team only stays in the finest days in. It's a La Quinta. La
1: Quinta. Oh. Oh,
4: Holidays better. in. Holidays in. <laughs> yeah. You can rack up some serious loyalty points at the La Quinta. Yeah, That is for sure. You sure can. <laughs>
1: uh, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to follow Dave, get over to Twitter, DMets Media. Uh, and you can follow him there. But Dave, I'm sure we'll be reaching out again, especially as the season goes on. It's been sure. a blast catching up with you. Uh, it's good to see you out on the road again. It's good to see all you guys out on the road. You can just tell, watching the broadcast, you can tell how much nicer that is and how much fun you guys are out there having. So uh, listen, we really, really appreciate you having, having you on here. We appreciate your time, and uh, and we look forward to catching up with you again down the line.
4: Yeah, let's do it in Canada. We can have a Keith's.
1: All right. Our thanks again goes out to Dave Metzold, Dave uh, Blue Jackets, ringside reporter on Valley Sports. uh, And man, what what a great time. Dave Metzold is. I just want to say, like, if you don't know Dave, like we've met him on Zoom and I feel like I've known Dave for 10 years, like a great dude. So easy going and, and about as nice as you could possibly be. We love having Dave on. Again, go follow him at DMets Media on Twitter. Uh boys, before we just jump right into our next interview, which I'm so excited about, uh Dave brought something up. <laughs> and we like tried to skip over it because Jesus Christ. Yeah. But Dave, Dave brought up the Ohio State Michigan game. And What Uh a disaster. What a Uh disaster. What a disaster. Uh Listen, listen, I think we all know this. I think we all know that Michigan and Ohio State, it's not just going to be a forever Ohio State domination of Michigan. It's Uh going to cycle back into, hopefully, what turns into just competitive back and forth, you know, a more even matchup. Although, I I mean, like, uh, as an Ohio State fan. Oh, sorry, sorry. (laughs) I was going to say, as an Ohio State fan, I want Ohio State to win every time. But, like, you know it's going to cycle. Hopefully, it just doesn't cycle the other way. And then all of a sudden, it's Ohio State yeah. never being able to beat Michigan. You know it's going to cycle back into more competitiveness. But Ohio State, like, I want to make this sure this is – Ohio State is a better football team than Michigan. And they just came out, like, with no fire, with no nothing. Michigan came out – it was – that first drive Michigan came out and made that defense for Ohio state look terrible. And then Ohio state comes out, goes three and out. They, they muff that punt to give themselves terrible field position. And all of a sudden you were just thinking, Oh, this is going to get ugly fast. Now Ohio state had that interception early, but they never really built on anything. That Ohio state offense is too good to look the way they did. And they just looked terrible. Uh, hard to believe but your ohio state buckeyes are going to be playing in a non-playoff uh i don't know whatever whatever a decent bowl like a cotton Some like bowl. a flag bowl so, yeah.
3: or something they'll still go to they'll still go
2: to a new year's six bowl they'll go to probably like the fiesta bowl For or sure. the cotton bowl or something like that
1: yeah but yeah i, I mean, don't, I don't remember which you're... bowls are like the big bowls that year like the playoff games but like yeah. they'll be in one of the non-playoff games
2: yeah To go off off your point, Mike, real quick, you know, uh, I I hope it turns into the 10-year war 2.0. Like, I hope it turns into the next 10-year war. Uh, But Michigan just came out. They they came out with a a precise game plan. They said they were going to beat the shit out of the Ohio State Buckeyes on the line of scrimmage. And that's exactly what they did the entire football game. And Ohio State just had no answer. Yeah, I mean, and the offense got going for Ohio State, but it always seemed like whenever they took two steps forward, they would always take one step back. Whether it be like a sack or a timely Michigan uh, tackle for loss, or or a, a drop by a wide receiver, something like that. So, yeah, Michigan beat the shit out of Ohio State uh, through and through uh, up front the entire game. The only, the only thing that, the only thing, and I know I'm probably going to sound like bitter Ohio State fan here. But the only thing, the only point I want to make is like I, I keep I kept seeing things like saying, "Oh, the rivalry's back. The rivalry's back." No, 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 no. No, it ain't. The, the rivalry no, ain't. is not. The rivalry is not back. Okay, okay. You know, you win two out of three. You know, three the next four, something like that. Yeah, the is back. But the reality is, this is your third win in the last twenty years. Like the literally this is,
1: century. <laughs>
2: the, the reality is, Harbaugh is one and five against Ohio state. Okay. Yeah. Nobody was saying the rivalry was back when John Cooper, won his two games against Michigan. So no, right. the rivalry is not back right now, but uh, no, but, but certainly I think it uh, woke up Ohio state as far as what kind of, what type of Michigan team that they're going to, they're, they're going to be facing
3: for years to come. The stat of the game or rivalry is that was the second win by Michigan since the iPhone came out.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Just to put that in
3: perspective,
1: like not nah, it's not quite there yet. No, you're right, Chad. And you don't sound like you don't sound like that Ohio State guy. Listen, Michigan came out and won a game. They played better. Michigan played better. Ohio State was the better yeah. team. There's better talent everywhere on Ohio State. But Michigan played better. They had a better game plan. They were Ryan Day was outcoached. Ryan Day was outcoached. The players mm-hmm. were outplayed. Everything about Michigan's game plan and and they executed perf- like almost perfectly. Michigan executed yeah. perfectly. Ohio State, it was a simple game plan for them. All they needed to do was play tougher on the line of scrimmage and stop that run game a little bit and make that quarterback beat you. And he was going to make mistakes, like you saw in the first quarter, and they right. just didn't do it. They could never stop the run. They gave up like 300 yards rushing. That just is right. what it is. So so no, it's listen, it's going to happen. But it, it also – like, it, it just always keeps throwing me back to that Jay Richardson interview we did where he said, I'm not sure that this is Ohio State's year. I'm not – he wasn't confident that Ohio State was going to get through Michigan State and Michigan, and they didn't get through Michigan. But he said he has felt the whole time this wasn't Ohio State's season. This was going to be a season where Ohio State was going to have to learn and grow a little bit. Yep. and And so that just makes me excited for next year, right? Like, okay – well, because next year all these guys have that year where it's under their belt, and that's supposed to be Ohio State's season.
2: They were ten and two in a in a season where they were supposed to learn and grow. I'm fine with that. I'm good. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm good with that. And oh, a little fun fact uh, before we move on to the next thing. Uh, you know, so a couple of days later, uh, well, I think it was just yesterday, Ohio State men's hoops beats number one Duke. Right. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. So, a little fun fact. The last time Michigan beat Ohio State in football in 2011, three days later, Ohio State men's hoops upsets number three
1: Duke. Let's go. Yay, regular season college basketball is a thing that's happening. Yay. All right. Uh, Again, uh, special thanks to Dave Metzold. but now uh, it is time for us to move on. We've got another incredible interview, and so a little fun Ohio State talk, but now it's time for us to throw it. our next interview with brent Soboleski. all right and now it's time for another special guest again episode 93 is a killer episode uh and our special guest now if you're a browns fan you know him he's all over twitter he gives you some of the best browns content and it's not just like the bs content that i'll throw out there every once in a while but this guy knows his stuff as much as anybody and we are so excited to have him join us he's an nfl analyst from bleacher report uh, and and just uh, a, a good guy that I got a chance to meet uh, when we did something with the OBR a couple of weeks ago. We are so excited to have Brent Soboleski join us here on the Garage Beers
5: podcast. Brent, welcome to the garage. Well, I was going to say thank you for having me, but I felt like you took two indirect shots at me during that intro. First of all, oh, no, you know, the killer. <laughs> yes, I understand. I kind of got this black Christmas thing going right now, but I'm not psychotic. I'm <laughs> no. a, I'm, I'm a no. nice person unless you get me riled up and I get going. And number two, BS is are my initials. Now, don't forget that. that I am walking BS, and it it's quite apropos. So <laughs> true. You know, so while you went through that, I kept thinking to myself, really? Does he really want me on this show, or is he just trying to bring me on to stab me in the back a little bit? But, that
1: just means I'm falling for your BS. <laughs> I, just, I just fall. I'm like, wow, this guy knows this stuff. If you're BSing. More power to you, Brent. More you power to you. You
5: can't make it in this profession uh, uh, profession as a journalist if you can't BS your way through something. <laughs> Believe me.
1: <laughs> so, Brent, one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on, obviously, we're going to get into football. We're going to get into the Browns, which, you know, hopefully we've all been able to settle down from. But uh, when you and I met, uh, you told me, and it's on your Twitter bio, actually, you told me you're a beer snob. You are a beer guy, a beer connoisseur. And that's what we do here on the Garage Beers Podcast. We try beers from everywhere, from all over the country, from all over the world. We bring them on and we talk sports over some delicious beers. So again, just to kind of throw it around real quick before we bring yours in. Joey, you had one from Unplugged in Elyria, correct? Correct. Like a chocolate peanut butter porter okay. or something like peanut that? peanut butter porter. Yeah. Uh, Chad's got the Sam Adams Variety Pack, the seasonal Variety Pack. Are you onto a different beer now, Chad? Yeah, yeah. I moved on to
2: the old Fezziwig. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's good stuff. All right, a lot better than this uh horse shit that I had in a reunion IPA. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell that is, but oh. uh old Fezziwig. I'm on to the old Fezziwig.
1: And I've I've cracked open my second uh Mad Elf Grand Cru eleven percent beer. So we'll see where this takes us. Uh from Trogues. So that's Brent, that's what we're drinking. You were real excited about yours and you teased it on Twitter so we're throwing it over to you. What is your beer of the week this week?
5: Well, as we were discussing behind the scenes, so throwing it behind the curtain a little bit, my favorite brewer in the world is Hop and Frog. Anyone that's ever been to Fred's Palace in Akron, Ohio, opposite the Goodwill, the old Goodwill Blimp Station, knows how wonderful they are at concocting beers that will just knock you off your ass so (laughs) i decided i had to build a little cred by coming here for my first time so i went with the 15th year anniversary what hop and Frog beer so it's a delicious dark ale at 15 Mm, percent okay which to me i am one of those people that The bigger, the bolder, the higher ABV, the better. Hence why I love Hoppin' Frog, because anyone that knows the way that they build their beers in their catalog, it starts with their Russian Imperial Stouts, wonderful base beers, and they continue to build upon those. And so, to me, this is a a perfect type of beer. You get the plum heavy in, in those strong ale styles, but very boozy, very delicious don't need more than one or two to get you going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so when I said I wanted something special, I made sure that I did pull it out and that we can all discuss it and that the wonderfulness that is hopping and Fall because it is truly, as I described in our back and forth before the show, heaven on earth for me. And I've been to almost every brewery in the state of Ohio personally, and that one's still my favorite after all these years.
1: Brett's going to get that fit. Or- yeah, Brent's gonna get that 15% going. He's like, well, let me just give this one a taste real quick. Uh let me I'll give you a review after that. <laughs> well, boys, this this beer was really good. And the floral <laughs> pl- the plumminess <sighs>
2: We're talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers <laughs> with Baker Mayfield.
5: <laughs> Baker Mayfield uh, shooting three point shots.
1: <laughs> no, See, this listen. Is
5: the thing, right? This is the thing. People make fun of beer snobs, and in certain cases, they're right, right? Because you sit around, you take pictures of your beer. I have more pictures on my phone of beer than I do my own children, and I have two kids, <laughs> right? And then you talk about all the different adjuncts you taste. You talk about the different flavor profiles. You talk about the ABV. You talk about the IBUs, and so on and so forth. Correct. But at the same time, if I'm going to pay good money, give me something, one, that tastes really good. Two, yeah. is is three times to four times higher in ABV. I don't need to drink 12 to 15 of them to, get, to kind of get going. So it just encapsulates a better investment in what you are drinking at that time. And I know you're only renting it, but for my money, <laughs> I'm renting something that I'm really going to enjoy that can actually get me to the point where I want to drink more, not to pee it all out, you know, within the next thirty minutes. Listen, Brett, how
3: you, many you have? It could be an investment. <laughs> I was going to say this is <laughs> that's
1: BS right there, uh, BS. Uh, because if you take a look at my beer gut, I own all these beers. Uh, these are owned. <laughs> I am working on that. These are I have an investment going it, it's here. It's an
3: appreciating asset
5: at that point. <laughs> yeah. That, well, I do have <laughs> another one of these appreciating in my fridge, and I'm gonna age a year and then we'll see how it tastes. Oh, yeah.
2: And and really I was just doing an impression of me after drinking a fifteen percent beer. So
5: <laughs> <laughs> <Gentlemen, good disaster. laughs> I don't know. You guys say you get it from all over the country. I've had utopias. Have you guys ever had utopias? Oh.
1: no, but we've I, talked about it. Oh my I God! Have, I, I uh,
2: have not had I have not had Utopias, but I've had the Dogfish Head. Uh, oh
1: yeah! Oh, what's that? What's that stout?
2: What's that? Stout? Yeah, you had it a couple it of the world worldwide
1: worldwide stout, worldwide
2: stout, worldwide stout that is aged that was aged in Utopias barrels. So I've had that. I just haven't had the Utopias. Yeah.
5: Like I was at Dogfish Head this summer, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And it had really, no, it had nothing to do with Dogfish. It had nothing oh. to do with the place. It's, I To give you an understanding of the way me and my friends are, my, one of my best friends got married in Dogfish Head. So that gives you an idea of <laughs> the type of people I hang out with, right? Did, was Dogfish time, Head aware that this was happening? Yes, yes, yes. It was oh,
1: right.
5: <laughs> the, He lives in Ohio, but he's in like the rare beer club and travels there like five, six times a year to Delaware for all their special events and stuff. Now, with that said... When they got married, I was supposed to be there. But at that time, I got laid off from one of my writing jobs. So I had to be the responsible adult as a father, as a husband, and I couldn't go. I couldn't go to Delaware. I couldn't go to Dogfish Head and spend you know, hundreds of dollars (laughs) along the way. So I finally made it this summer when my wife and kids, we went to uh, Dewey Beach and Rehoboth Beach. And by the way, Talking about beer shout outs. If you've had, never had Dewey beer, please, God, find a way to get there because it, it is amazing Dude. how good they are. I go to Dogfish Head the next day after going to Dewey beer. Uh, they our first day there. And I'm not feeling good. Like, I literally fell asleep on the on the beach while my children were playing with my wife in the ocean, right? <laughs> come to find out. <laughs> come to find out I have a completely abscessed back tooth. Right? Oh. Jeez. So I'm trying to power through dogfish head beers while basically in tears because I'm in so much pain but I I wanted to go so badly oh. that I drank everything I possibly could while nursing the worst abscess abscess tooth I've <laughs> ever had in my life. So while it was a great vacation homes not a great not a great experience for me. Yeah, Chad,
1: Chad, you went to Dogfish this summer?
5: This summer? This mm-hmm. last summer? Yeah. Uh, and he it was like
1: it was like six straight weeks of garage beers of the week. We're all from dogfish. So Chad, Chad like brought home the right. brewery. <laughs> Damn right. Damn right. I couldn't, I
2: couldn't get a tour of it because of COVID. So I, I, I just picked out like six or seven beers. I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Taking that.
1: Uh, all right. So Brent, Brent, I want two things because I want to spend a minute talking beer with you. I had I had Hoppin' Frog on well, a couple of weeks ago. I think a couple of weeks ago because I am a total seasonal beer person and Hoppin' and Frog of course, they've got their, the Taurus and the Boris and those great beers. They've got the, their Shandy is the best Shandy that ever was at Hoppin' Frog. Uh, but they have great seasonal beers. Their seasonal beers are amazing. So I had their, uh, what's what's the Christmas beer? I can't, I can never remember. what Frosted it was, Frog. Uh, Frosted Frog. I had Frosted Frog on here a couple weeks ago. Hoppin' Frog, but I've never been there. Ooh. And that pisses me off. It, I'm Ooh. from Cleveland. I don't get that. Like, I'm not in Akron a ton. So it's just not like a place that I've been. But here's what I want to know from you while we're just on the beer subject. Take Hop and Frog out. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about like, let's bring it up here to Cleveland a little bit. I want to know two things. Okay. What's your favorite like Cleveland area brewery that you go to? And then let's expand that thing out to the whole country. What's your favorite brewery in the U.S.?
5: Okay, well, I'm going to be Ohio-centric mainly because uh, I've been to other breweries, obviously, but we're here in one of the cradles of beer, and we're very lucky. We absolutely are very lucky. I I put Ohio in the same category as Colorado, Denver area, if you're talking about North Carolina, Asheville type of – that's the way I look at Ohio. For sure. How blessed we are with with all your options. Um, If I'm looking towards Cleveland, it's not specifically a brewery. But I love the ambiance of Ohio City because everything's right there within walking distance. And you're talking five to six really good breweries. Now, I know Bad Tom Smith just closed down the Least Ohio one. Not such not, a bummer. Not the, yeah, not the Cincinnati one, but the or Cleveland one. So that that's disappointing. But what, three years ago for my birthday, I had dinner with my friends at Great Lakes. We and Then we went straight over to Market Garden. We had Bad Tom Smith. Uh, I forget the Bavarian place across the street from... From uh Great Lakes, I'll, I'll have to look that one up. And beer, the irony uh, is it?
1: Oh, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the beer, beer,
5: no, b-i-e-r no.
1: b-i-e-r or something. No, you're thinking of beer market. No, 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 no. There's a there's a German brewery yeah, across yeah. West 25th.
5: They specialize in German or across
1: Lorraine Road. Across Lorraine yeah. Road, it's called. It's uh, Haas, it starts with an H. I have to uh, look it up because
5: I can't remember. I'm, all the I'm looking it up. Right. Damn it! And then. You just down the road, you have Platform. And Platform's funny to me because I went to Platform right after they initially opened, right? Hansa. It's Hansa. H-A-N-S-A. <S-A>. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. All those Sorry. are literally within a block of each other. And it yes. makes it just a wonderful experience. But then uh, to to the point I was going to make about Platform, I went there shortly after they opened. Ironically, mm-hmm. it was for one of my friend's bachelor parties, and we were doing a beer crawl around, around uh, Cleveland. And I hated it. None of us liked it. We thought it was awful. (laughs) Yeah. And now they have such a wide catalog and crush so many different things. It's amazing to see the turnaround in such a a short amount of time. Uh, So I give them a lot of credit there. Uh, If I'm looking at other places that I absolutely adore, uh, I'll go in the Columbus market real quick. Wolf's Ridge. If you've ever been to Wolf's Ridge again, if you like a dark, if you're a dark beer guy like myself, that's wonderful because they're like Hoppin Frog in that They have a wonderful base beer, and they're stout, and they build off of it. You got, like, this Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Dire Wolf, and so on and so forth. They're all fantastic. So, if I I mentioned Dewey because I want to go back to that because I was so blown away that I didn't really know much about them. I had a buddy tell me about them, and, like, every beer they gave me just blew my mind. And I'll give you an uh, example, and I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but there's a beer they have. How old are you, Mike? I'm 36. Okay, so I'm 41. So I got a couple years on you, but you should remember, remember back in 80s and early 90s push-ups, right? And I'm not oh, yeah. talking about I'm not I'm not talking about Flintstone push-ups. I'm talking about the original ones with Correct. the red, blue and yellow dots on them. Yeah. They did a beer version of that as a sour. Oh. That literally brought a tear to my eye because it made <laughs> me think of my grandmother's house. No. and having push-ups at the house that's how much i love that beer right oh, so is, much so, so good so much so much so i bought a six-pack <laughs> the first day on vacation you know how hard that is to try to keep that cold for four or five days uh, before oh, you're back in Ohio.
1: <laughs> oh my god
5: so that one be like came to mind uh I am
1: dying he takes one <laughs> sip of that beer
5: grandma <laughs> it was man it was that's how i felt too it was wonderful and then the food was great too so i, I i'll just go back to that one but but you know what you you said beer
1: snobs can get a bad rep but here on the garage beers podcast we are beer snobs. but i feel like we're beer snubs in the best way and i think you're gonna fit in with us here Brett. i think we're i, the-
5: I want to make a point to what you said earlier you like uh seasonal beers i love yeah. seasonal beers you mentioned Frosted Frog, got it in the fridge right now. Oh, yeah, yep. But you know what my favorite and maybe my favorite all time beer is Delirium Noel. Oh, it, yeah, it's a, a great beautiful, beer. Ooh, beautiful, beautiful Belgian at this time of year. I, uh, the pink elephant, man. If you, if you find me on Untapped and I'm Sobo 55, you find me on Untapped, <laughs> I literally have the pink elephant as my background. Was Avatar. So that's how much I enjoy Delirium, especially this time of year.
2: I thought I thought you were going to throw us for a loop and be like Corona Light.
5: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, if, if I'm gonna, going dirty, the subtle it's PBR. nuance. The subtle nuances. If I'm going, light. if I'm
5: going dirty, it's always PBR. It's always PBR. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs>
1: but but that's it. That's what we do here on the Garage Beers Podcast, and the that's the best thing. We all have different tastes. Joey's got his taste. Chad, hate. I'm an IPA and Stout guy. Like I like seasonal beers. But then IPAs and stouts all year round. New England IPAs, West Coast IPAs, love them. Chad hates IPAs, hates them. Mm-mm. Not his thing, uh, but he's got his thing. But we also, we'll do like, we'll do like cheap beer episodes where uh, Jenny Cream Ale is one of my favorite beers of all time. <laughs> I will dig, I will always, I always have Jenny Cream Ale in the fridge. So that's I what can, we do here on Garage Beers. We, think we're thinking, beer snobs. College
5: beer pong, that's what Jenny Cream Ale is. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. We don't discriminate, though.
1: We we love our great beers. We love our expensive beers. We love having special beers on, like the one you're drinking tonight. But you know what? If somebody's going to show up, Chad has shown up a couple times with the Miller Lite. That's cool. Let's do it. Uh, beer beer is always good. So, Brent, I think you fit right in with us,
5: man. <laughs> two best beers you can possibly get. One, free. Two, one you haven't had yet and you get to try for the first time. Those are the best yeah. two beers you can possibly <laughs> yes. get. That's, That's
1: right. That's exactly right. So,
5: Brent... Thank you for breaking out the special, the
1: 15th anniversary of Hoppin' Frog. It just makes me, again, in my head, I'm like, I just have to do it. Like, one Saturday, I just have to drive yes. to Akron and go to Hoppin' Frog. Like It's just, I have to go because they make got, great beers.
5: You got Hop and Frog there. You have one exit down. You got Thirsty Dog, right? Right. And then that downtown's right there, so you got multiple different stops. It's, it's, yep. it's easy. It's easy. Let's just easy. make sure it's you awesome. got something to drive you. <laughs> That's
1: Well, just jump on the train. Just jump on the... uh the uh, the special train. What's that train called that goes down to the the Cuyahoga Valley? Whatever. The, rap- the Rapid? Oh, no. No, oh, you Ky- dope. No, yeah. The idiot. Cuyahoga
2: Valley National uh, Railroad yeah. or something?
1: You can just take that down there. It lets you off right in downtown Akron. You can just hang out there and jump on the train and come back. It's fine. Uh, so, Brent, thank you for jumping in with us. Thank you for bringing the hop and frog. Now, let's talk a little bit of football. Okay. So, The last time you and I talked, it was before and after the Lions game. And that was something to behold. Uh, So then the Browns come out in this uh, Sunday night football game, right? And they, you always feel like when you're going up against this Ravens team. If you can just keep it close, if you can just keep it close, you have a chance. And that's that Browns defense kept it close. That Browns defense kept it close. They were turning over Lamar Jackson. They were playing really well. They didn't let the run game get going. They didn't. They never let Lamar get off for like crazy runs that you're just used to. Those back-breaking Lamar Jackson runs. None of that stuff happened. That defense played really, really well, and the Browns still just couldn't do it. The first team, the first team in the Super Bowl era that held a t- that turned over a team four times, four interceptions, held them to under a certain amount of yardage held them to a certain amount of points and didn't win the game. Like it not only was this loss a tough loss to stomach for Browns fans just based on like playoff hopes and division hopes because that game was right there. It was a historic loss. It was why do the Browns always find a way to have the historic loss?
5: I was going to mention that cuz it's not even the first time this year. What, what, what was it when they scored 40, have 500 yards of offense, no turnovers, and became the first team ever to lose? So it's like you got like both ends of the spectrum of suckitude. <laughs> right? It's like – that, and that's the problem. Everything's disjointed. Earlier in the year was the defense, right? You had the defensive front playing well, but you didn't have the back end playing well. You don't have that connective tissue between the two – the two levels to play uh, complementary football. And now we're seeing it with the offense. You're getting the running game started, albeit not against Baltimore, but just in general, you get the running game started, but now the passing game's faltering. And whose fault is the passing game? Okay, it's Baker Mayfield. He's regressed. It's wide receivers not creating enough opportunities or making the plays that are available to them. And when you have those things What's wonderful about football and what makes the greatest team sport in the world is that you have 11 men working in cohesion on every single play, but one screw up one fuck up along the way blows up everything. And so we're seeing that particularly with the offense at the moment, whether it's Baker, not making the right read, whether it's wide receiver, not getting off the jam, whether it's a drop, whether it's a tight end, not being able to get open, you know, so on and so forth. All these things lead to, not being able to execute consistently. And that's really what's disappointing at this juncture is that you have to have a head coach come out publicly say, it's on me, I don't have them prepared or I don't have them executing at the highest level when you can point to individuals who are continually making mistakes. And I'm not saying it falls on one person. That's the trap people fall into because we have these discussions. And more often than not, it falls on the quarterback. And I'm not here to defend Baker Mayfield. Because we can all watch and see he's not playing as well as we saw last year or that he has gotten any better whatsoever. But at the same time, it's not entirely his fault. And this is something I stress all the time on social media. I will never be that person that points to one guy on a football team and says, you suck, you need to get the hell out of here, and you need to make changes. Because that's not how it works. And that's not – anyone's ever been in a team atmosphere understands how you can affect one's play by other people not doing their jobs. And so that's really what's disappointing is that while you finally have one side of the ball seemingly figured out now, the other side's faltering and they're not playing that complimentary football that needs to be done to become a consistently winner, uh, particularly against good competition. So let's, let's go to Baker in that game, Sunday night
1: against the Ravens. Cause I, maybe I have the unpopular opinion. I think he played well. I think he, I think Baker played pretty well. I think Baker played pretty well. the, the, the more the more time has has kind of passed, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to what I said Sunday night when Chad and I were doing a recap. at I don't what time even was that? Jesus, like midnight, 1:30. One, one, in, 1 in the morning. In the morning. <laughs> but I've kind of settled down. I think Baker played well. I, I go back and look at some of the plays that he made. The thirty yard pass to Donovan Peoples Jones that he just dropped. The the several drops on that last drive. I, I, I want to talk. I, I I still want to go off on Austin Hooper for a minute tonight because I don't know what he's even doing. <laughs> I don't know why we're paying this guy. Uh, but but I think he played pretty well. I think between what five or six drops in that game. I, I don't I don't think this is one of Baker's worst performances. But how do you so like Brent when you're looking at this stuff and you're breaking it down? How do you do that juxtaposition of like. I don't think it was a bad game. for. I really don't think it was a bad game. I think he played pretty well. I thought his decision-making was pretty good. He looked fairly comfortable. He was, he was throwing the ball in good spots. But at the same time, once again, and this is the knock on Baker right now. And I know it's more of a, and, and you said it, it's, it's, it's 11 guys out there. So it's not just a Baker thing. But again, the ball is in his hands with about two minutes to go. To win the ball game. And it doesn't happen. And that's that's the trend right now with this, not just Baker, but he's gonna get the brunt of it. But this offense, how many times have they had the ball now going back to the playoff game against the Chiefs with time winding down, with a chance to drive down the field and win the game? And they can't do it.
5: I think there's two ways to look at it, right? So opportunities and, and opportunities yeah. lost if you look at the quarterback play specifically and just evaluate his performance, let's use the previous Pittsburgh game as an example. They had the ball within the 35 twice with the game on the line twice, right? Fumble drop. Uh, You know, I mean, I understand the quarterback can play better. He can always play better, but at the same time, you have to have those around him, make those plays when the game is on the line again, Now you go to this most recent contest. Do I think Baker Mayfield played outstanding football in this past weekend's game? No. Do I think he played better than than he did against Detroit? Absolutely. And he made the type of throws necessary to win that contest. So if you go to that final drive, the final two pass plays were a back shoulder that the wide receiver slipped out of his break and a drop again. You have to have people to help you. I don't care how damn talented you are as a quarterback. It doesn't matter if you're Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, you know, and so on, Kyler Murray, so on and so forth. That playmaking ability is tempered based on the play of those around you. And I'm not trying to put Baker Mayfield on the caliber of those guys I just mentioned, but at the same time, he needs guys to make plays. When you have a drive the ball down and you're a little high to Donovan People's Jones, you still got to come down with that pass. It's not like it was it was airmailed 15 feet over his head. and that's and that's what's really difficult to evaluate because one, we don't know exactly what the play calls are. two. we don't know what type of checks he has within the scheme. Three, It's hard to fault a quarterback when he finds the open guy or goes to the initial read, and those guys aren't making the plays for him because that's what offensive football is. You're designed to throw the ball to your initial read. That is the job of the quarterback. And the fact that people are like, well, look at the guy opposite side of the field, he was wide open. This ain't fucking Madden. You don't just hit a button and all of a sudden toss it up into the guy that's wide open. That's not how it works, man. So – that's what makes it difficult sometimes to evaluate. And I will I will sit here and say, yes, Baker misses some throws. Yes, Baker doesn't always make the right read. But at the same time, he's doing enough to put this team in a position to win in certain games, and the people around him are not coming through for the quarterback, and yet he has to take the onus because it's the most important position in football. It's the most important position in sports. We have quarterback wins, This is bullshit. But at the same time, they get all the credit and they get all the blame. So here we are. And unfortunately, in Cleveland, you have a roster decision to make that could be anywhere from 30 to $40 million a year. And that's going to play a factor in the way people view you comparatively to the rest of the league.
2: So I got a two-part question here, Brent. Uh, to, the first part is, so if, if this was Baker's, like, say, second year in the league and he still had time to develop, do you think this narrative would be out there? Do you think this... You know, people would be in such a rush to to judge him and say he's he's, he's not the guy or because we are because the fact is we are approaching fast approaching game by game, you know, a time where the, this team has to make a decision on Baker. And then my second part to that is, you know, you just talked about it. You know, guys have to help him out, you know, whether it be the play calls, receivers, drops, whatever. So why hasn't this offense materialized this season? You know, it, it's the inconsistent because the inconsistency is is just maddening. So why what what has been going on <laughs> with this offense this year?
5: Well, I would say the start. I think Andrew Berry handled it very well in today's press conference when he essentially said it's a holistic evaluation. It's not just over the last few games. It's not just over post injury evaluation. We have to look at okay rookie year standout record setter. He looked fantastic. Now year two. Uh, Freddie Kitchens clusterfuck. I'm not blaming anyone for that, but because it it went wrong for everyone involved, literally everyone. So I'm not playing the onus on the quarterback in that situation. You can year put three, it on Freddie Kitchens. You yeah. can blame Freddie Kitchens for that. I put on Freddie Kitchens. I put on John Dorsey, by the way, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on and so forth. Uh, year three, Baker Mayfield, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. If you look at the advanced statistics in multiple different categories. Year four, injuries and regression. And I can safely say there's regression because while we have to acknowledge the injuries and you have to know the reality of the situation that they are affecting his performance at the same time, I am fully of the belief that if you want to be on the field and they let you on the field, you still need to produce. You can't, you can't use those as excuses, particularly with reporting that we've seen lately that he's now feeling better and he's as healthy as he's been since basically the start of the season. So looking at it, you're not playing as well. You're not the same type of quarterback we saw at the start of your career. So which one are you? And that's really what it comes down to is the flashes, right? Which one are you investing in? Are you investing in the quarterback that's looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? Or are you looking at the quarterback that's one of the worst in the NFL? Because that's, I mean, it's literally that drastic with his yeah. performance. And so the flashes is what keeps you excited, right? Right. That's you're like, it's like getting teased consistently. You know, it's there, you've seen it, you know, he can do it, but it's, it's not on an every week basis. And that's, what's really difficult. Now to the point about why the offense isn't working, I just said, you have to acknowledge injuries without letting them be an excuse, but you also have to realize one, your quarterback is preventative to what you can do. And you're within your offensive scheme because up until this past week, How many rollouts did you see, right? How many RPOs did you see? Very few because they weren't conducive to where he was in his rehabilitation. Second of all, it's not just the quarterback. Right tackle is a disaster. Love Blake Hans. Great story. He can't play right tackle for shit, and he can't pass block in that position. It's really difficult when you have (laughs) such a big hindrance at one of your offensive tackle spots. Jedrick Will is not playing great because he's got a high ankle sprain he's been dealing with all year right? Odell Beckham is with the team has a, uh, has a labrum injury. Jarvis Landry's playing through uh, continued injuries, right? I mean, all these things add into what's going wrong because you can't op- operate at optimal efficiency. And I know the NFL' is a 100% injury league. I get it, but when you have multiple key contributors that include Nick Chubb out for multiple games, Kareem Hunt out for multiple games, You're never going to get into any type of rhythm to become the offense that you're projected to be. Well, and how important is that?
1: Like that's that to me, like, I think we're all raised. It's it's the same thing you do with work. You will go to work sick or hurt because you're just kind of people are raised to be like, I'm fine. I don't want to go to the doctor. I'm good. I'm going to go to work. Right. That's how we like talk about our football team. Don't make an excuse because of injury. Don't make an excuse because people are hurt. Go out there and do your job. In reality, that's not how shit works. That's if if your legs aren't working, Baker gets hit one time in that Baltimore game in the first quarter on the first drive. One time the dude gets hit and he is like hard limping back to the back to the uh, the huddle. Uh, you know, like these injuries are taking a toll, and it's again I think where where people are being a little short sighted with the injury side of things is. It isn't just about saying, oh, he's hurt. Let's make that excuse. It's, oh, he's hurt and he's hurt and he's hurt and this guy's hurt and this guy's out and Jack Conklin can't catch a break and everybody's hurt and it's building this cumulative. They haven't played a healthy game yet. Hmm. Like not one time this season have they played a healthy game. How does an offense, how do you, on a, in a game, that is so dependent on 11 guys, cohesion, coming together, knowing. That's the thing, right? When you look at Tom Brady, why is he so good? It's because when he throws the ball, he knows where his receiver's going to be.
5: Mm-hmm. He
1: knows where his guy is going to be two steps before he gets there. Uh, the I feel like the Browns offense just never has that chance. There's no cohesion there right now, and
5: I don't know how you can fault anybody for that. It's you're right. It's cumulative and it's a, it's great usage of the word for this, for this example, because you can have other teams that have injuries and it's the amount of injuries into which players, right? It's the key performers within your offense. When you have star running backs out and you have your quarterback ding and your superstar wide receivers, when they were both together, they're all ding. Then you have the effect it's cause and effect, right? <laughs> so that's really what it comes down to. And, but the problem is the games don't stop. Right. <laughs> you still got to show up every week and you still got to perform. And when you don't, people lambast you. And to to a certain degree, rightly so, because you're not playing to the level because other teams have injuries. I and mean, we can use the Arizona Cardinals as an example. Kyler Murray hasn't played for three weeks. They're winning games with Colt Freaking McCoy. And we all know <laughs> how that is when it comes to running it off. Well, James so,
1: Harrison's not out there, though. So in fairness... James Harrison's not out there to concuss him.
5: No, no, he's on Showtime's heels, and he does a wonderful <laughs> job on that, on that as a wrestler. He's adorable on that show. He's, he's, adorable. He's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> fits perfectly. But with that yeah. said, uh, it's the thing is, you enter the season with certain <laughs> expectations, right? And you can't allow those expectations to crush you. You have to play through all this stuff. And Cleveland hasn't to an extent. And it's it's difficult to watch because they were on the precipice last year. I, you know, essentially one, I would say one play away from an AFC championship game, considering if the Rashard Higgins should have been played, should have been called properly, which it wasn't. Yeah. So when you think of that, when you consider the city and how they view this team and everything that they've gone through, to me, it's just difficult to watch them go through these struggles, not just because of the injuries, not just because of the individuals, but because of where they we thought they would be based on their potential. And when you fall short of potential, that's a great waste, man, and one of the worst things that can you can say about a professional athlete and team. And I look at Cleveland this year and think to myself, okay, you're at 500. You have a difficult schedule the rest of the year. Go out, play hard, compete. You don't know what's going to happen. If not – reassess this offseason, move forward with the players that you think can be your core, and readjust your roster. So Jarvis Landry is a great example. Jarvis Landry brought something special to Cleveland, but eventually there's a law of diminishing returns even with those type of players. We're talking about a 29 going on, 30-year-old wide receiver that while he does all the little things, is his play commensurate with his pay, right, at $15 million a year? No. No. <laughs> It's just no, it's not even close at this juncture. Same thing happened with Odell Beckham Jr., right? Maybe Jack Conklin because the decision is going to have to be made there in a year or two. Austin Hooper is another example. So that's, that- that's another example, Brent. <laughs> that's another example. So while we have, so while they look good on paper now, <laughs> it doesn't mean they're a good team and it doesn't mean it's who, going to, who they're going to be moving forward.
1: Am I, Brent, am I being too hard on Austin Hooper?
5: Is he the best tight end on the team? No. Is he the second best tight on the team? No. Is, Harrison <laughs> Is Harrison Bryant
3: healthy?
5: Is Harrison Bryant healthy? Because that's the question. They're like, it depends what you value at the position, right? Because he's a Stanford tight end. And you could take that positively or negatively depending on the way you I've, look at it.
1: He would, no, wait, wait. When they signed him, they made him like one of the highest paid tight ends in football. Mm-hmm. So I value a guy that's going to live up to being one of the highest paid tight ends in football. You don't make a guy like if he's just going to be like a run stuffer, or, or I'm sorry, not a run stuffer, a run blocker, like Austin uh, uh, playing defensive line. <laughs> hey, <laughs> shut the right up. now, Cleveland <laughs> would pay that type of money for a run <laughs> stuffer. because <laughs> yeah, They don't have one. You're damn <laughs> right. But no, if you're, if you're, if you're paying him to be a run blocker, uh, six offensive linemen, I you're not going to make him one of the highest paid tight ends in football. I just, I don't know why he can't catch
5: the ball. I don't, I don't know why when the ball hits him in the hands because he, he can't catch. separate, and he's got a defensive back on his uh, on his shoulders every single time the ball's coming his way. But that was, but that was his thing. That was the that was supposed to be the value of Austin Hooper.
1: He was never the fastest guy out there. He was never the most athletic guy out there. But he's like, I, I said it in our in our post game last week. He's supposed to be like a power forward in basketball. He's supposed to be able to box out, get to his spot, box out, make a catch. That's what he does. That's what he's supposed to do. And he should, the way they're paying him, be one of the best in the NFL at doing that. Get to your spot, box the defensive player out, make a catch in traffic. Who cares about yards after the catch? Who cares about big plays? But when we need a first down, get to your spot, box out, make the catch. And he gets to his spot and he boxes out. And then it just like... And then it's like he forgets that last part to extend drives. I just, this dude, I can't understand it. Like, for me, the the drops with a guy like David Njoku, who's like running vertical routes and getting downfield, and he's crazy athletic, even though those are the plays he makes and he has trouble catching the ball other times, uh, I can take it because he can make other big plays for you. You need Austin Hooper to be making these, possession, saving, drive, extending catches. And now we are a couple years into this and he's not doing it. He's not doing
5: it. It's kind of, it's a great example of paying a guy for what he should do next. Not what he did before as a two-time all-star with the Atlanta Falcons. But even then I remember the articles and arguments at the time that they schemed him open. So we're kind of seeing that come to fruition. Second of all, when you look at the way Cleveland's built based on the outside ru- running scheme is outside zone run scheme, right? If you look at it historically uh, and not just the running backs, because everyone understands the running backs dating back to Terrell Davis and Ruben drones and G- Orlando scary and Clinton Portis and so on and so forth. <laughs> God, but, but look at like what Kyle Shanahan has done for at uh, Houston at Atlanta. The ex-receiver in that offense, now Debo Samuel, by the way, oh. the X receiver in that offense gets regularly 120, 130 targets. That hasn't happened in Cleveland, right? The tight end is a huge part of the passing scheme. George Kittle in San Francisco. It's not happening in Cleveland. So you, you start to wonder where the disconnect is because we know this, this offense works. Like, literally, it's been in the league since the mid-'90s with Mike Shanahan, not Kyle, Mike. So – It has been fully effective that you can run the ball, you marry the passing game to the run game, and that you will find openings for playmakers. It's just not happening for Cleveland. So the question you have to ask yourself is why? Is it the system? Is it the play caller? Or is it the personnel? And I tend to lean towards the latter. And because, one, let's use OBJ as a great example. Look, I've said it a million times. I'm not trying to blame anyone. It didn't work. Whatever, right? Let's not get into the minutiae of right. whose fault it is and all that bullshit. But the fact, but when you look at that ex-receiver in that position in a precise timing passing game, you need the guys have in certain spots and be reliable to his quarterback. OBJ's been known for a long time throughout his career to freelance throughout his route running and his playmaking capabilities. And that's not the right fit, okay. You get Austin Hooper, you get a guy that is schemed open, that isn't highly athletic, uh, is not going to be a threat down the scene consistently. Does that sound like someone that's George Kittle? No, absolutely not. <laughs> and I know I'm comparing him to literally the best dual threat tight end in football, but that's the guy that's the standard bearer for the position in this system. And so. When you're lacking in personnel, even though you've done your best to try to address it, it doesn't mean it's going to fit and it's not It's not necessarily going to work. And I think that's where Cleveland's kind of discovering that they need to have certain guys that can fit what they do, that have the capabilities to maximize their potential within the system.
1: So Brett, here we are, six and six, we're 500. We've just lost... Literally the most winnable game of the Super Bowl era to the Ravens. I mean, that, that that is what the stats have told us. That was the most winnable game based on what your defense did of the Super Bowl era. And we have just lost it. And and now you you're in your bye week. And you're going into this next game with the Ravens. And now you're looking ahead at that schedule going, okay, we got the Ravens, the Bengals, the Steelers all still to play. We've got the Ra- uh, the Raiders and the Packers. Those are the five remaining games. All good teams. Literally, all, except for the Steelers, but they're still a pretty good team. But pretty much all good teams. Uh, what are they doing in this? Like, what's happening in this bye week to get this? Because you have to imagine that Kevin Stefanski, and, and, and like you listen to the Andrew Barry Press Conference. He knows this is not going the way that they intended. This whole season is off the rails. What's happening in this bye week to prepare this team for those last five games?
5: Mending rehabilitation, the things to get healthy <laughs> because that's the most important thing. at this juncture, right? <laughs> Cause you're not, you're not signing anyone to all of a sudden make, make you magically better at certain positions. You, you go back to the drawing board as a coaching staff to figure out what's worked and what hasn't and what's more effective than what's not. So that's something you can do schematically, particularly with Joe Woods, if he wants to be more aggressive based on what we've seen against Baltimore, what we saw against Cincinnati. So that, that, that could be a potential change. It's just difficult because you're in a bad spot and a lot of it has to do with injuries and a, a re- very difficult schedule because you're not, you know Baltimore's not going to play as poorly as they did the first week. Vegas is very heckle and, uh, you know, heck, or
1: Jekyll and, <laughs> and Jive. Yeah, I love those guys. 15% ADV on 15%. this, dear hey. <laughs> <laughs> You talking
5: about those guys? You talk about Steve Heckle? I love that guy. Yeah. yeah. So you don't know which version <laughs> of them you're getting. Green Bay, unless you're going to start just gnawing on Aaron Rodgers' toe, you're at a disadvantage. That's gross. Well, yeah, I'm not trying. <laughs> I'm not retrying. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have Pittsburgh who is just a, not a good football team. They're, they're mediocre at two. They are the that very definition of a mediocre and Cincinnati. You're not doing to them what you did the first time period. It's not going to happen. Sorry. I'm sorry, Browns fans. <laughs> so what do you win out of that? Maybe two games, maybe three. And what they that puts you right around 500. Uh, I know, I know you can't be 500 this year, which is still weird. I'm not used to 17 game schedule. <laughs> but you are what your record says you are right now you're a mediocre team and i don't see them coming out of the shell uh, to be honest with you because there's only so much that you can improve maybe you you switch a little bit on defense get a little more aggressive you get healthy a little bit but beyond that i'm not i'm not feeling it man and so i think it's i, I think that's a difficult realization for a lot of people for especially for fans uh, and i'm probably being a bit of a downer as we drink more beer but at the same time, <laughs> it's just setting up that way. And then, we, and then you go in the offseason, you start questioning yourself. And I know I tweeted this out today, so people were responding to it. I put out the top wide receiver free agents, right? Because we know they're going to dress wide receiver. And the first question people ask is, who wants to come to Cleveland? I don't know. I don't know how you sell it. Andrew Barry is great. People love Andrew Barry. And, yes, money goes a long fucking way when it comes to free agency. But if you have options, sorry guys, Cleveland's not your first option when it comes to a lot of these guys. So you got to draft well, you got to develop, and you got to build them within your system, and that's the way you want to get to long term success. And which I still believe is very much attainable. I don't. I feel like I, 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 I stunned all of you. Sorry. Well, I, I was gonna. I was waiting for Chad to like <laughs> pop in
1: with something or Joe, but like I don't know. When sorry the cats, for the
5: dose of reality, Joe. Cats, man, that's cats got to their lose. tongue.
1: Very sobering. Yeah, nope, no, it isn't. <laughs> Very yeah, no, it's not. It really Man. isn't. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. You're right. Uh, no, I like. Okay, so that discussion was going on before, and I like that discussion. Aren't we at a point where like people will come to Cleveland? I, I don't I, like. I, again, I always feel like I always feel like sure is a guy like Odell Beckham going to want to go to L.A. to go to L.A.? Yes, he wanted to go to L.A. He said he wanted to go to L.A. It's been like a thing that he wanted to be in L.A. Fine. But, like, how does
5: how do these other places get play, people to go there? Green Bay is a shithole. Yeah. Well, hey, Green Bay is Green Bay. And they had Aaron Rodgers. Guess what? They probably won't have Aaron Rodgers next year. You know who they're going to sign? Nobody. No one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're going to that's lose Devontae fair. Adams in free agency. They're going to lose Robert Tunyon in free agency. They're going to lose Marquez Valdez Scantling in free agency, most likely, right? Do it, those guys be, even matter without Aaron Rodgers, by the way? Well, Devontae Adams, I would argue, is well, the best player yes. in football, but otherwise, probably not. So that that's the thing, right? You have to build you have to build that type of community and culture within your organization. And Cleveland's getting there. And I think they're on the right track, and I think they have the right people in positions of power, aside from Jimmy Haslam, but we're not going to get into that at the moment. (laughs) So if you have those guys and you can bring in and develop and draft properly, you're on the right track, but that's a long process. It's not just an instant fix. And, And that's what's difficult for a lot of fans because how often in Cleveland we saw, let's make a splash in free agency. Let's make that big trade. Let's get the big name stars. And it hasn't worked out. How does Pittsburgh successful every year? Now, granted, you can't emulate what Pittsburgh's done because it's literally been five decades of them doing it. But it's a very simplistic approach: you draft well, you develop them, then you resign them. That's that is the most basic way to approach team building and roster building, and it's worked for a long, long time. And I believe in Andrew Berry. I truly believe that, and those around the league, not just me. Obviously, I'm on the outside. I cover the league but those within the league view him as a superstar. They see how talented he is and he's the right guy to lead this franchise. So eventually you will get to the point where people want to be a part of your organization, where you can be a Pittsburgh, where you can be a new England, where you can be a green Bay now currently. So that's what you're striving towards. And you're not quite there yet. Like one good year doesn't put you in that same class. And so uh, that's what's really going to come down to is if you can sell your direction, and that falls on Andrew Barry. And if you can bring in a uh, br- bring in a big time free agent to pair with Baker Mayfield to get them to believe in him as a quarterback, you're on the right path. Not sure if you're going to get there, but you're on the right
2: path. A dumb question, but I'm seven beers in, so fuck it. Here we go. Uh, <laughs>
5: don't when get come, serious
2: on me now jesus when, when it comes to free agency when it comes to free, free agents man i mean obviously you know draft well develop well when it comes to free agency how much of it really is market over you know team and, and um and money right now how much i like is it just does it just depend on the player like like a guy like you know odell beckham like oh god la the bright lights i need to be there or you know you know like or, you know, he had a uh,
5: – yeah, I don't know. You know what I'm saying. Right, yeah, I, do. I do. I uh, But I want to – you say market, I say situation, right? Okay. Because, you know, everyone's on a level playing field when it comes to salary cap and everything you can possibly do from that regard, even though you can work around – I mean, New Orleans has done it for years.
2: Yeah.
5: But I've, I've talked to agents. I, I know that they've used Cleveland as leverage, period, point blank, that <laughs> – I've I've had agents tell me, with a cackle, that they were never going to fucking Cleveland. That they were only using them. Who was it? Who? Who? Uh, Tell me. This was a Drew Rosenhaus. This is a Drew (laughs) Rosenhaus. Was it? Hey, Ralph Pryor is still counting his money. Not as much (laughs) as he would have gotten. He would have gotten more if he stayed. But hey, whatever. Uh, But uh, situation, right? So if money is equivalent (laughs) or close. And you can go to a winning franchise or franchise with a better reputation. It's always that that team's always going to win out. I'm sorry. That's just the way it works, because I, I've known multiple cases where Cleveland offered more, significantly more, and the players decide to go elsewhere. So you have to get past that stigma because it's not gone away entirely. It's getting better. It hasn't gone away. And uh, we all everyone here in this in this room, in this Zoom Meeting knows how great of a city Cleveland is, and it's very underrated in many regards from a
1: national. These beers, amazing!
5: I will give you beers all day long if you want to sign <laughs> yeah. with Cleveland Browns. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't have that same that same preponderance with others around the country, right? Yeah, and you have to build that reputation. You have to earn it, and that's where and that's kind of where they're stuck at the moment. Like people see you're doing better, but you haven't earn that long-term respect yet. And that's and that's where you get that pendulum point this this offseason. I think that's really important for Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski to sell themselves to whomever they're bringing into the organization. So I'm going to end this on like I, I want to end this on a positive note,
1: Brent. Uh Me finishing so, my beer? Well, go, positive. Go, that's go, a positive. Go. <laughs> oh, that's <15. laughs> that, was, that was 15%. That was 15% of a 15% beer that just went in. Uh, Brent, Let's say the best-case scenario happens. Let's let's say this team comes out on fire. Let's say they come out of this bye week. Baker Mayfield is feeling fine. He, again, I think he looked pretty good against the Ravens. Let's say he looks really good coming out against the Ravens. Let's say they beat the Ravens. Let's say they do to the Bengals what they did to the Bengals. Maybe they just have the Bengals number. It's not like it's not possible. Uh, uh, let's say this team comes out. And and I I feel like I've said this all throughout the season, which really pisses me off because I've tried to be the eternal optimist and they just keep biting me in the ass. I think I said it at like three and three, no team's ever been eliminated from the playoffs at three and three. Mm -hmm. No, No team's ever been eliminated at five. I, I think even at six and six, no team's been eliminated from the playoffs at six and six outside of maybe the Browns in 2007, where they went 10 and six and didn't make the playoffs uh uh there is still certainly potential that this team could make a run. So let's play the eternal optimist game here. Give us a couple reasons in your head as somebody who really breaks the, who like understands the game even if it's BS, who understands the game and breaks it down. Where are the areas that that you feel like okay if they get this and this right in the bye week, here's some areas where I feel kind of optimistic about this team.
5: Okay, let me start with a, a macro point of view. The AFC is shit, right? You have three Error. teams. You have three teams in the AFC that have more than one win than Cleveland. That's disgustingly mediocre <laughs> across the <Yeah>. board. <laughs> <laughs> but you have New England. You have Baltimore. You have Tennessee. That's it. And none of them are world beaters by any means. You should have beat Baltimore. New England's good, but you still have a rookie quarterback. Eventually, he's going to falter at some point. We don't know when, but he will eventually. And then Tennessee, and considering what they've endured so far this year, eventually something's going to fall apart for them. So that's the macro point of view. Micro point of view. And I want to use the San Francisco 49ers as an example. Why? Now, I mentioned them earlier with Kyle Shanahan. They run the same offensive system. It's a Mike Shanahan system. It's a Kyle Shanahan system. It's a Gary Kubiak system. It's a a Kevin Stefanski system. It's a Clint Kubiak system. Now, what did San Francisco do in the last few weeks to get on a three-game winning streak? They recommitted to the basics of their offense. They're running the ball at 41.7 times per game during that winning streak. Woo! So to throw that number out, yeah, off the top of my head. <laughs> can you tell I've written about it a couple times? Yeah, just a few. <laughs> so now, are we, we
1: sure? Are we uh, get to the hundredth of a point and then I'll be <laughs> impressed.
5: Well, it was 41.666 <laughs> six, six, something like that. Repeat Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> so if you can get back to that style of football, <laughs> right? And I know. I, and this is another ongoing social media conversation about how run plays don't matter, and if you run it doesn't automatically equate to winning, and so on and so forth. And I thought Mitchell Schwartz had just a wonderful rebuttal today on Twitter for those. You can you can even go to his account or check it on mine because I I retweeted it about how you can impose your will, how the physicality wears on teams, and how it, it creates a different mindset that can't be quantified. So if you do that. Against teams that can potentially that aren't as good against the run, to me that that opens up opportunities. That opens opportunities for play action. That opportunities for boot action. That opportunities for David and Juke and Joku running down the seam, or Donovan People Jones down the field. So I look at it and I think to myself: If you're healthy or healthier, you can still be effective. You just have to know who you are as an organization and. I'm not saying that you have to force feed the run game. Uh, I, I joked today with a, a friend of ours that everyone follows Pete Smith. We all know Pete. We all know his – we all know the way he looks at the game. But I, I even said, I said, you don't want to beat it, your head against the wall and expect the wall to move because that that's not the way it works. But at the same He's time – He's
2: in love with Jarvis Landry.
1: He's <laughs> in love with Jarvis Landry. <laughs> Love my fair.
5: I've, I've known Pete since he was a squeak following me around senior ball, and he's a great guy. <laughs> so, uh, I have no problem with Pete whatsoever, and I, 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 oh, yeah. I adore the fact that he sticks to his guns because too many don't, right? But the point I'm trying to make here is we know they can be effective in the run game, and everything is built off that system. So if you commit to it and then allow things like the boot action, which we saw this past weekend – and uh, the pocket movement to make Baker more comfortable, then you will be more effective overall, and you can potentially get into that rhythm. And I think, that's, I think that's the key to their potential success if they're going to get on some type of streak. We know one game is one win. Two games starts a streak. Major League taught us this. Come on,
1: do it again. One more, <laughs> and that's called a winning streak.
5: So I think you have that opportunity there still. And not to be completely downtrodden, it's going to be difficult. But but it's it, that that possibility is still there. So that's those are your silver linings.
1: All right, boys. Any other yeah. questions from the dudes? Any other Browns things we want to go over before we? I feel go like over? I fucked with right. Joey
5: too much earlier about the hat thing before we came online. did even like talk <laughs> at all. What, like what is that? That looks like a Purdue hat. Like what is uh, that? It's
3: a, it's a Winter Classic hat from the Preds. Ooh, okay. Hmm. Twenty twenty.
1: What's hockey? I don't, I don't even watch
5: this anymore.
1: Brett, you are you are uh, special guest number two of a football slash hockey show <laughs> extravaganza that we've got going on no, tonight. No. Hey, so.
5: hey I, okay, I'll give you look. I loved hockey when I was growing up. I did. I I actually adored it, and I live in Eastern Ohio, so my options were the Pittsburgh Penguins or any fucking buddy else. So it just so happened that I started rooting, watching hockey in depth when I was about 12, 13 years old. And it was coincided with the ducks and the Florida Panthers coming into the league. Right. Nice. So I'm like, I'll watch the Florida Panthers. So oh, my wow. all-time favorite hockey player is John Van fucking Beesbrook. <laughs> yes! Oh, wait. I
3: thought, hold on. <laughs> you, you took the honorable route here. You you did not root for the Pittsburgh team, right? No,
5: I will never. Look, hey, I wrote – before I got where I am, I worked at a local newspaper, right? I don't know if you guys know the area. My first full-time writing gig officially before – now, this is years after I had started at the OBR and did things part-time. But I was at the Steubenville Herald Star. Now everyone Ooh, knows shit. Now oh, everyone knows man, Steubenville deep. for the wrong reasons. That's <laughs> but, deep. Yeah, but deep and So I am dead smack in the middle of the 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 coalescence between oh, no. Steelers and Ohio State fandom, right? So I wrote a column because it pisses me off. Like if you're in this area. <laughs> And you want to ro- root for the team that's closest proximity. Okay, that's wonderful. Then root for the Steelers. And there's the Pitt Panthers. They still exist, right? <laughs> that's true. <Damn laughs> but Marino. you want to do state allegiance because you love Ohio State, okay, you have two NFL teams to pick from, Cleveland or Cincinnati. I don't give a fuck which one. Pick one. And it drives me bonkers that I have this – this group of fans in this area that just fr- they're front runners. That's the only way to put it. They're fucking front runners. And it drives me bonkers. Sorry. Excuse me. That's my rant tonight. Brent. No, I dated that,
2: a Brent. I dated a girl in college from Mingo Junction, Ohio. So my, I am uh,
5: one of my best friends is from Mingo. Garfield, there we, we go. We,
1: <laughs> there we, there we go. So, Listen, uh, read the I grew up. I grew up a Penguins fan. I was a Penguins fan. I've been a Penguins fan my whole life. I'm still a Penguins fan, but the Blue Jackets have just kind of won my heart over a little bit because of this podcast. Uh, I'm sorry. I used to watch Penguins players play for the Cleveland Lumberjacks because that was the minor league team, and we didn't have a team in Cleveland. So uh,
5: The Barons, you should have became a Minnesota North Stars via Dallas Stars fan. No. Yeah, Mike. You (laughs) fucking idiot.
1: It was no. the best I had. It was the best I had. Listen, <laughs> and, and and I don't know. Football is the only rivalry between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. It's not like the Indians, or sorry Guardians and the Pirates are rivals. They don't have a basketball team. We don't have okay. a hockey team.
5: It just is what it is. I'm going to go on another rant because the Guardians' name's fucking bullshit too. It is the no. safest, most basic name they could have came up with based off years, excuse me, months of studies of how to change <laughs> the name. It drives me nuts. Like, you had all these cool names and all these options, and you picked Guardians based off. What would you have sketch. gone with? I not know what would spiders. You have gone with. I thought the Spiders had spiders. So much no. Oh, yes. That's the worst. That's, That's the, the, worst. That the worst. Thank you, Brett. It no, would have that been was phenomenal. The no. Yes.
3: That's the yes. That was the worst option. Guardian. Guardians isn't cheesy. To
5: it is the most basic, bland bullshit that they could have came up with. Is and the, seriously. Spiders like, was the worst. It's, it's not followed by of the galaxy. It's just Guardians. Right? They're talking about two stone totems at the end of a bridge. Oh, no, they
1: weren't. Nope, nope. Technically. <laughs> technically according to this Stop podcast, it. Stop. It. That was not out. a happy coincidence. That was not a happy coincidence. <laughs> it was a happy coincidence. According to this podcast and guests that we've had. on We can all sit here and talk
5: sports and enjoy the fact that Evan Mobley's awesome. That's all we have to talk (laughs) about. Can we talk for one minute?
1: One minute before we let you leave because you're a Cavs fan, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I am. The the Cleveland Cavaliers tonight, as we recorded this podcast, beat the Miami Heat for the Mm -hmm. first time in Miami since 2010. Not only did they beat them, though, they were winning by about 30 through most of that game. They this Cavaliers team, man, I'll tell you what. Nobody wants to play him. Nobody wants to play this team right now, especially now that Kevin Love led the team in scoring tonight, like 24 points or something like that. You've got Mobley, a double-double machine. You've got Jared Allen is one of the best centers in basketball right now. You've got just Darius Garland is a star, an absolute star. This Cavs team is, this is, where did this come from? This was awesome. (laughs)
5: This is the most fun I've had watching the Cavs since their championship run. And I'm not even trying to be hyperbolic yeah. when I say that. I, no, I, I legitimately believe it. And I've won. Evan Mobley is the type of basketball player I adore. And I was the one that made the joke online. They called him Slim Duncan, and it kind of caught fire a little bit. Uh, but that's what he reminds me of because he does all the little things, the fundamental things that are important to winning basketball games. Like when you lead an NBA contest contested shots, that means your seven-foot ass is hustling. You're playing proper defense, and you're doing all the right things. And eventually, his offensive game is going to come around, and he's going to be just unstoppable. Darius Garland's a superstar in the making. I, like, the way I look at it is this. I love what they're doing now, but about two years from now, holy good God, that team's going to be special. I mean, I, I'm being serious when I say that. I, yeah. I, I look at them. I love the approach. And this is this is not just basketball. This is applicable across the board in sports. I love what the Cavs are doing because they're going against the grain. One, thing, one of my favorite sayings that I made up one time was, don't be the caught co- – don't be the copycat. <laughs> be the cat that's copied, right? A wise man once said. Yeah, th- th- said. this wise fat man. This is what I said. <laughs> you want to be the guy, the cat that's copied. And when you see everyone else going the guard heavy offenses and you know you can't compete in that regard, go three seven-footers in your starting lineup, and shit, people are having trouble scoring against you because you're doing the exact opposite of everything one else is doing. And this is uh, – uh, we can go back to Cleveland con- – or the Browns conversation for two seconds – Okay, every other team's throwing around the yard. You're one. You are the best running team in football. At least you were up until this past weekend. Use that to your advantage. Be physical, right? Do the things that other teams aren't doing to give you an advantage, and that's smart when it comes to building a roster. And I think the Cavs are on a wonderful uh, upward trend now that you're healthy again. Obviously Sexton's out for the rest of the season, but other than that. I just adore watching them play. It's just so much fun because they do the the right things when playing the game.
1: Brent Soboleski, man, this was awesome. We've kept you for long enough. I think everybody's got to get to bed at this point. We got a little Cavs chat in there at the end. We'll have you in to talk more (laughs) Cavs. We talked beer. We talked football. We talked Cavs. This was awesome. Again, uh, if you're, I don't know what you're doing. If you're uh, a Cleveland sports fan and you're not following Brent on Twitter, get over to Brent Sobolewski at Brent Sobolewski on Twitter uh, from the Bleacher Report. Uh, and and again, just a, a, an overall sports enthusiast, Cleveland sports. Uh, Brent, this was awesome. So excited we were able to have you on, uh, and we're we're definitely going to look forward to doing this again.
5: Absolutely, thank you for having me, and I enjoy the fact I can just let loose a little bit and not be my, we go, not be the normal professional version <laughs> that you're often asked to be. So I, I definitely appreciate it. And I had a blast, gentlemen. So thank you. Kindly
1: don't ever bring that to this podcast.
2: Yeah. If you do, so, if you do, if you do, something's gonna be fucked up. That's I was about sure. to say. If anyone knows
5: me? For those who know me in real life, I never. finish a sentence without a curse word of some sort in there generally. (laughs) (laughs) Unless my children are around, then I try to bite my tongue a little bit. I try. Not always, but I try.
1: (laughs) Brent, thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch up with you later.
5: Thanks, Jens. Have a good one.
1: And once again, a huge thank you to Brent Soboleski. Again, go follow him on Twitter, at Brent Soboleski. Obviously a guy that covers it, a journalist for Bleacher Report. But also just a, a normal guy that just really, really, really knows the game of football and a Cleveland fan. So we loved having Brent on. They gave us a little positivity there at the end. A little bit of positivity, both for the Browns and the Cavs. Loved him for that. So and there,
2: uh, and there was a Mingo Junction reference. That's
1: fucking weird. That is fucking weird. I don't think we should ever do I don't think we should ever do that again. <laughs> wow. I don't think we should ever do that ever again. Fine done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. We're going to get ready to wrap it up. But before we wrap it up, we're going to do our one of our normal segments every week. We're going to finish this podcast with our three cheers of the week. And boys, I'm going to lead it off this week. Gross. I never lead it off this week. But I it feel like bad. Chad, Chad, I think I think I'm going to give us a I think I'm going to give you and I a cheer of the week. So Chad, I might steal your cheer of the week, but I think okay. you're going to go along with this. I think you're going to go along with this. My okay. cheer this week Goes out to a young fella that has made this podcast extremely good because of all the hard work he's put into it, because of all the work on the back of this and the behind the scenes that he's done. And and you hear him every once in a while. And frankly, and frankly, every time you hear him, I get about seven people that are like, why doesn't that guy talk more? Because he's hilarious. But the voice of gold. His, it's just not his style. It's not his style. He comes on. He drinks his beers. He chimes in when he wants to chime in. My cheer of the week this week is going to go to Joey Whalen. Do you know why my cheer is going to go to Joey Whalen, Chad? Because it's his birthday. If you're listening to this podcast yeah, oh. on Thursday when it is released, it is Joey's birthday. So, Chad, real quick, I want you and I to sing happy birthday to Joey. Ready? Mm, uh, fuck you, Joey. Perfect. <laughs> 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 Jesus. All right. Just ruined, no, just kidding. Just you're ruining no. it. No, <laughs> no. Kidding. I was just, I was just talking about the singing too. Uh, but Joey, listen, man. Everything oh. you do, we appreciate you. We love you as a brother-in-law. I love you, and uh, I just wanted to make sure we called you out publicly. Appreciate Happy birthday, buddy.
3: Wow! Well, thanks. I uh, this is the eve, the eve of my. The, what am I? Twenty eight tomorrow. Woo! Let's go. Go. Did they mess up birthdays? Like somebody like really? I should. Shouldn't I be twenty nine? Are we like counting the first year as in like like? Why don't you start at one?
1: Well, what have you been drinking tonight? What know. have <laughs> you been drinking? I,
3: don't know. I just kind of feel like you. Should, I kind of feel like you should just start at one. <laughs>
1: Joey, 28th birthday, the hairline of a 48-year-old. Let's go, Joe.
3: I kind of do. Go, baby. That's why the hat's on right now. The hair's too long, and I, I didn't want to do anything to it today. And, um, well, you're not going to be able to see this at home, but it's not great. It's, it's really bad. I've had the beanie of shame on all day, and I actually had to take It's a Preds beanie. I had to take it off. For um, the, the earlier interview, it is it's it's a winter classic. Being I, mean, I went to the winter classic game at the Cotton Bowl a couple of years Love ago. It. Nice, nice. Um, it. So yeah. it's 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 more celebratory of that. Um, but I, I didn't want to have the Preds game on as we were talking Blue Jackets after the the Preds just smoked the Blue Jackets six nothing.
1: That's right. Oh, it's fine. It's
2: fine. My uh, my other cheer of the week uh, <laughs> goes out goes out to the MLB uh thank you christ thank you for fucking up my summer sports schedule watching by saying by saying that a lockout's inevitable so here we go thank you it started it started tonight the lockout officially
1: started tonight oh it's
2: officially started started. okay so uh perfect
3: perfect i'm so i was not watching mlb news and uh Cyber Monday, like Southwest, is like, you can get to Cleveland super cheap. And I was like, great. Let me buy my plane ticket for the home opener. And I was like, oh, shit. What if that doesn't happen? (laughs)
1: Listen, man, I I will say this. And I'm going to do a a little quick gripe, and then we're out of here. I am so tired of baseball being such shit at its own (laughs) fucking thing. Like, they're so bad. Uh, They're the Browns of sports. They just get in their own way. They're so bad at what they're supposed to do. And sorry, Rob Manford, but you're a douchebag. You're he an does. idiot. You're an idiot, and you don't know what you're doing. The whole league is set up poorly. The league is set up absolutely atrociously, so that you have you have the most disparity. Everybody acts like, oh, but look at look at oh my god, but anybody can compete. No, they can't. We've talked about it a thousand times on this podcast. You don't win a World Series unless you're in the top half of payroll in baseball. It hasn't happened since two thousand and three. And that's the only time it's happened in forever. The whole league sucks. The whole league doesn't know what they're doing. Rob Manfred and the owners are a bunch of idiots, a bunch of douchebags. You have a team that doesn't know how to market its players. You have some of the greatest athletes on the planet. Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. You don't know how to market them. You've got a guy like Jose Ramirez here in Cleveland. That's one of the best players in baseball. And nobody fucking knows who he is because – they don't know how to market their own players. The whole situation with baseball is a fucking disaster, and they should all be fired. Rob Manfred is an idiot. He's an idiot. He doesn't do yeah. anything right. They don't do anything right. They should all be embarrassed. And then they go into this lockout. They go into this lockout like it's just, oh, this is just what happens, just another work stoppage. You had like a 1,000 work stoppages. All you do is have work stoppages because you you have the worst system in all of sports. Every sports league is better than you. And and I and baseball is my favorite sport. Baseball is my favorite sport, which is why I'm just always gonna go back and watch it. But every league is better than you. Major League Baseball is the biggest train wreck of a league of all time. And I'm fucking tired of it. And we've got another work stoppage. Like they, it's just like a normal thing. Three years from now, guess what? We're gonna have Another fucking work stoppage. I am just so tired of how bad this league is at what they do. That a a, a a like an idiot could run this league. Literally, you could put any one of us, and we are all idiots. Me and Joey and Chad, the biggest idiots out there. We could all run baseball better than what it's run. So thanks for bringing that up, Chad.
2: Don't worry, but a thing, every little thing,
5: is gonna be all right.
3: I'm, I'm feeling a work stoppage tomorrow. Is can we just like declare a work stoppage? <laughs> Done. Done. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna get Bye. a call from my boss.
1: Excuse me, boss. I, uh, Why didn't you come in uh, today? There like was a work uh, style. Was... Fine. <laughs> you... I got another. Did you hear? I'm either SBN
3: 28 or 29.
1: <laughs> 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 How old am I? Yeah. All right, I'm going again. Thanks for that. You need
2: to work on the need to work on the CBA for the company, guys. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right, boys. It's been a long episode. If you've stuck with us through it, thank you so much. I know we've had a few long episodes lately, but we've had some amazing special guests. And there's we, just so much shit to talk about. We don't want to cut them off. We don't want to cut our special guests off. So we're just having a good time. So thank you for bearing with us. We try not to have the longest episodes ever, but we hope you enjoyed it. And and so listen, as always, we're going to give out our thanks. First of all, a huge thank you goes out to our, our, our platform, uh, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, the Unhinged Radio Network, these guys that help us uh, get the word out about our shows. We appreciate them. Also, a huge thank you goes out to our special guests here tonight. Dave Metzold, uh, Blue Jackets ringside reporter, and uh, uh, just an awesome time with him. And Brent Sobolewski, uh from Bleacher Report. Brent, uh, a dude that fits in on this podcast. He can come back anytime. We hope you enjoyed listening to Brent. Uh, and lastly, our biggest and best thank you goes out to you, the listener, for putting up with us, for listening to us, and for drinking a couple beers and listening to us talk sports. Again, go follow Dave Metzel, go follow Brent Soboleski, follow uh, the Garage Beers podcast at the Garage Beers on all social media sites, including YouTube and including uh, uh, TikTok. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. So. For the birthday boy, Joey Whalen at Garage Beers. Joe down in Nashville, Tennessee. For Chad over there on the east side of Cleveland at Garage Beers. Chad, I am Michael Keefe at Garage Beers. Mike, this has been episode 93. Until next week, we'll see you on episode 94. Cheers, everybody.